Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, everybody. Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley. I'm Glenn Mack now. Nicely ensconced in the Delaware Valley, talking to my pal Mike Sielski, who is living life large on the Vegas Strip. In fact, living life so large, you got up at what, 5 a.m. Vegas time to do this show? 5 a.m., Glenn. I got to see the sunrise over Mount Charleston, the snow-capped top of the mountain there. Uh, it was the most beautiful thing I've seen all week. I have not been indulging in the casinos and the gambling and all that kind of stuff. Been too busy writing about the Chiefs and the 49ers in Super Bowl 58. There you go. And I'm sure that if any of your bosses were just listening, they certainly took note of, of your dedication to the cause. So, I good. lie. I lie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm thinking you're getting up at 5 o'clock, which is when most people are turning in. Yeah, you know, I I wish I could say I was surprised at how many people were awake and gambling when I got up this morning and walked out of the Ho- Luxor Hotel, uh, but I can't say that I was. Well, we're going to get some good color from you uh, from what's going on up there. We're going to cover a lot of things today in terms of the Super Bowl, in terms of the local sports scene, uh, because there is a lot going on right now. And because of that, we'll do what we did last week, which is a tribute to my old pal, Ray Dinger. So we're going to open with five questions for Mike. So here we go. And you're not even going to answer the first one, which is your prerogative, because you are a serious journalist. (laughs) I'm a slob of a talk show host. Who should Eagles fans be rooting for in the Super Bowl tomorrow? I actually do have an answer to this. Oh, good, good, good. I think that Eagles fans should be rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'll tell you why. Because if the Chiefs win this Super Bowl, it will be their third Super Bowl in five years, third time they've won a Super Bowl in five years. And that qualifies them, I think, as a genuine dynasty. And so... If they win, the Eagles can look back and their fans can look back at Super Bowl 57 and say, you know what? It was disappointing. We had it in our hands and we let it go. But at least we can say we lost to the best team of this era. We lost to the best quarterback. We lost to the best coach of this era. And there's less shame in that uh, than we might have thought. If they lose to the 49, if the 49ers win, I should say, Then you're really down, I think, if you're an Eagles fan because the loss to the 49ers earlier this season really sent the Eagles' entire season into a downward spiral. And then you have to watch Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk celebrate. I think if you're an Eagles fan, you're rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, I think that's a great logic. In fact, I've been using that logic since the Eagles lost to the Patriots in 04. So, you know. Yeah. That's a I like a nice rationalization early in the morning. Hey. That works. 
rooted for that. Is that the big chill, I think, you just quoted? That's it, yes. Boy, you got that old cultural reference there, didn't you? You know, Um, the 80s and 90s are my wheelhouse when it comes to that stuff. Uh, I'm rooting for the Chiefs uh, as well. I think most people are. Um, I I, I don't have any great love or disdain for Andy Reid. He did a great job here. He moved on. I moved on emotionally. So he he's not the factor. Nor it's it's really not about the Chiefs. It's really about the Niners, uh, or as they have been rightfully termed, the Forty Winers. <laughs> Ross Tucker did a great screed on our station, and I think on his own stuff this week. But it is true they complain about everything. They complained last year when they lost to the Eagles because we knocked out their quarterback, as if they shouldn't have done a better job of protecting the quarterback. Uh, They've been complaining all this week about the grass out there, the practice, the Chiefs offensive linemen hold. By the way, Bosa, what up? Yes. Babies. The the, uh, smoke alarm got pulled in their hotel yesterday. At at 6 o'clock in the morning, an hour after I woke up this morning. Come on, guys. There you go. And and Bosa said, I'm sure somebody did. This is his quote. It kind of reminded me of Philly when they had this construction going on outside it was early in the morning, and so they're demolishing a bridge right outside our hotel. Yeah, they did it for you. That was the reason. <laughs> they the 49ers are coming to town. Let us destroy this hotel yeah, so that we might keep them awake. Yeah, let's and start a $3 million them. construction project. Yes. Um, they complain about everything. I don't like the vibe of that team. I'm not rooting for the Niners, period. Okay. Dan Take Wilson, what do you got? I like it. Yeah, I, I'm rooting for the Chiefs as well. Uh, I, I agree with Mike in the stance of I actually enjoy watching dynasties. I don't think the Chiefs are an unlikable dynasty. I really like like to think that uh, this fan base has evolved past its hatred for Andy Reid. The Eagles got their Super Bowl. The Chiefs then went on and like the people who are still anti-Andy, I think are just bitter and are going to be bitter to the end. I think we've actually evolved as a fan base beyond that. I think it's time to root for the Chiefs. To your point, I think the 49ers are the more dislikable team coming in, have more of a recent rivalry uh, with the Eagles. And I just, I don't want to see them validated. I don't need to go see Brock Purdy win the Super Bowl. I don't need to go see Debo Samuel win the Super Bowl. Uh, I would prefer to see the Chiefs. And you're right, we would see a new age dynasty, which in our, you know, in this century, it felt like that would only be the Patriots. And in a league that's so hard and built for parity to build a consistent winner, the Chiefs are right in, you know, on the cusp of doing that. All right, so we agree, the three of us, and I imagine most people in the Delaware Valley agree. You can chime in at 215-592-9494. Second question, Mike, and it relates to what you guys are talking about, Andy Reid. And by the way, just as before I toss this out there, I, I heard more of the ridiculous argument this week that, you know, if Andy had stayed here, he would have won those Super yeah. Bowls here. No, no, it was done here. It was done. However... What's Andy's legacy if he wins another? Um, is he one of the, what, three, four, five best coaches of the modern era? I think he's in the top five. I mean, you're talking about a guy who right now is already fourth all-time in wins. He is the only coach in NFL history to have at least 100 victories with two different teams. He's an innovator when it comes to passing offense and concepts uh, in the 21st century NFL. His coaching tree is remarkable, and he's done all this throughout the free agency era, era, excuse me, when it's much more difficult to sustain excellence because guys are coming and going. I heard Ray talking about this the other day on the morning show. You know, as much as he loved Don Shula and as much as he thinks of Don Shula as a coach, Don Shula had basically the same roster for a decade because those players couldn't go anywhere unless the yeah. Dolphins traded them. Different era, that, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not the case with Andy. He's done it 
with multiple quarterbacks. Yes, he's won a couple of Super Bowls with Mahomes and might win a third with Mahomes, but he got there with Donovan. He resurrected Michael Vick's career. I think he's a top five all-time coach. Yeah, he is. Um, And we're a footnote in it. We are. We kind of are, yeah. Yeah, we're a footnote in it. And, And, you know, again, good for him. I'm trying to think of other coaches, managers, you know who I mean it's not the same cuz this guy was a bumbling fool here and went on to I know who you're going to say. Terry Francona. Yeah. 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 I mean he he got he did nothing here. Uh he had a bad roster. Say Andy Reid's a 14-year footnote. I mean it's a it's a long footnote. I know. I yeah, you're correct, but again when they when the, he's inducted into Canton 90% It'll be in the, the Chiefs hat. Yeah. Yeah, it's all well and it's going to be 90% Chiefs. But you know Good for him. Again, I bear no animosity. I'm jealous. Can I yeah. admit to jealous? Yeah. I mean, it is funny to think what might have happened and how different things might have been if they had been able to replace Donovan McNabb uh, with someone near Patrick Mahomes' level. No, they just couldn't do it. That was, was that was the beginning of the end it, for him. Yeah, yeah, but I always – I think there's more. I think – his coaching staff fell apart. He, the guys he lost, half of whom are now head coaches in the NFL, got replaced by guys who really weren't up to the job. He had the family issues going on here that were, you know, I mean, it really took a lot of his time and energy, understandably. I think he was cooked here. I think no matter who his quarterback was, he was cooked here. All right, next question for you. And, by the way, you wrote a good column this morning, uh, or I saw this morning, about uh, the Eagle, about the NFL and its international slant. So, mm-hmm. How should we, Mike Sealski, feel about the Eagles playing their opener next season on a Friday night in Brazil? (laughs) I understand it. I don't love it. Look, the NFL is being upfront about what it wants to do. About 10 years ago, Glenn, there was talk and scuttlebutt, and there was some merit to it that the NFL might be approaching the point of saturation in the U.S. market, that it had kind of wrung every last drop of interest and every last dollar out of the American public, and it really needed to expand itself and expand the interest beyond the borders of the United States. And you saw the push to London. We've had games in Germany and Mexico, and now the Eagles are going to Brazil. I, I get where, where and why the NFL is going in this direction. My thing is, are, are you... At some level, you have to keep in mind your core audience, your core fan base. And the fact that they are spreading this out in the way that they have. I don't know if if most of our listeners know this, Glenn. The NFL owners recently voted that in 2025, they're going to have as many as eight international games Mm -hmm. in a regular season. And what we're heading toward is, I think, an NFL game virtually every night of the week in places all over the globe. And is that really what the core in the best interest of its core audience, the the average Joe who wants to watch a game on a Sunday or a Monday night uh, and doesn't have the money to go to Brazil if they want to go to a game or doesn't care that the NFL is trying to branch out like this. I get why the league is doing it. I just I kind of lament not to sound like an old guy, but I lament the way things used to be. Oh, I'm I'm already scheduling, uh, let me see, 10.45 this morning. I'm going to do a, a grumpy old man rant. <laughs> this will be part of it. There, All about the NFL, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this will be part of it, and there will be more, including the Super Bowl and aspects of this. But it, you, you nailed it because it's 
geez, that's kind of cool. And, you know, I don't know, maybe 500 people from Philadelphia will go to Brazil and have the trip of their lifetime. But the 70,000 people who go to South Philadelphia to go to games every week, who live and die for this franchise, who support it, who back it, who are the whole point of it, they don't get to go. They get to watch on a Friday night, which, by the way, I forget who pointed this out this week. But I heard the point made on another show. It was a caller that that's high school football night. Yep. You need to steal high school football night. The NFL needs to steal from the high school kids. Don't like it. No, I agree with you completely. They had already stole Sunday mornings from God. It's they stole Sunday nights from 60 minutes, like leave high school football. I already saw some discussions of a few high schools in the area considering moving their opener to Thursday. Yeah, they're going to have to. Like literally probably will. Yeah. And again, it's the NFL only cares about itself and its owners uh, and the TV market and doesn't care about the fans who buy the tickets and doesn't care about the rest of the community. And it's a really, to me, it's a bad look. Uh, it's a really bad look for the league. They're, they're aiming for global domination. Yeah, well, I got news. They got it. There <laughs> next, is nothing NFL com- next NFL commissioner, General Zod. Yeah, well. <laughs> Dr. We Evil. Yes. You know, and Mike, you talked about what the, the NFL creep, what it's encroached on. They've already taken Christmas. Yeah. Right? They don't yeah. care. It's Christmas. Guess what? We're playing. No, nah, that's it right. Ain't right. That's right. All right. Uh, next question. NBA trade deadline this week. Mm. Did the Sixers trades move the needle at all? A tiny bit, uh, but more for next season. Not to get too far in the weeds with this, Glenn, but the primary reason that the Sixers made the moves that they made was to get under the luxury tax threshold in the NBA and be able to bring in more money in the offseason from those teams that are already over the threshold. So it's a money move in some regards, but it's also an acknowledgement that as long as Joel Embiid is out of the lineup or not at 100%, it really doesn't make much sense to talk about the Sixers in the here and now with any kind of expectations that they're going to make a deep playoff run. He's out of the lineup. We don't know yet when he's coming back. If he comes back, he's probably not going to be at 100%. You've got, pardon me, an Eastern Conference in which the Celtics look built to dominate finally the conference in in the playoffs. Yeah, nice of the, the Sixers to help them a little bit, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Knicks, for a change, look really good. The Cavaliers are the number two seed in the conference. The idea that the Sixers were going to get Joel Embiid back and add pieces at the deadline and make a deep playoff run this season just... I think was a bridge too far, and I think Daryl Morey understands that. So you clear some money off the books. You hope that Embiid comes back next season. You can't trade him. You got to, as we talked about last week, try to make a run with him as long as you have him and just hope he stays healthy. And you kind of uh, bring in all your weaponry for next season. Yeah, but see, this is the imperative, is that you have to try every to win every year when you have Embiid, even if it's this year, even if you don't know when and to what extent he's coming back. Because I think you've said this to me. The day's going to come when Joel Embiid says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. I want to be traded. And he will be, and it'll be it, and it'll be over. And it's like era ends the moment Joel Embiid decides he's had enough of this nonsense. So my thought on this, and it's mostly a whole lot of meh, this trade deadline stuff. It's, I think it slightly, slightly helps the team. Now, if he, if Embiid comes back for the playoffs, Buddy Heald can be a very good outside shooter. He open up the floor, take the pressure off. 
Uh, I heard Spike Eskin this week say the Sixers are 27th in the league in uh, three-point attempts. Yes. That's not, yeah. that's not the league. Not you don't in the win modern in the NBA. Yeah. No, nope. you don't win that way. So I think getting Buddy Heald, who they can they decide or not decide to keep after this season, if Embiid comes back healthy, does make your lineup a little more productive. On the other hand, no big man. They didn't get any kind of legitimate point guard to pair with Maxi. Uh, they dealt away toughness, which is too bad. Uh, they didn't any any well. I would say height, but these days people say length, and they mm-hmm. help the Sixers. So I'm I'm a solid meh on this on this deal. But I will just say, the day will come when Joel Embiid says, "I've had enough. I'm gone." Yeah, I think that window gets the tinier and tinier that opening. Yeah, I think the carrot you dangle is here's what we're going to do in the off season. Uh, Tobias Harris comes off the books. We're going to have money to spend. We've now got a shooter. We can go get more shooters. We can get these pieces. You, Joel, come back healthy, ready to go, maybe energized and emboldened if he plays in the Olympics. You know, that's the other kind of sub-story. I know you don't want him playing in the Olympics, but he very much wants to play. No, no. Um, And that's the pitch you make to him is we come back loaded for bear in 2024-2025. With his new teammate, LeBron James. (laughs) <laughs> um, don't rule it out. Question number five, and then we'll go to the break, grab some callers coming up, and we'll, well, we'll tell you some stuff about the Eagles that we got to get to. Number five, however, uh, we're going to be talking to Jim Salisbury, our old pal, about some baseball coming up at 11, one of our favorite people to talk baseball with. Has the Phillies' offseason been a success, Mike Sealski? I think it's been as good as they could have hoped. They re-signed Aaron Nola, which was essential. Uh, They spent a lot of money to do it, but they had to. They made a big push for Yoshi Yamamoto. They didn't get him. It's not their fault, I don't think, that they didn't get him. If you heard Dave Dombrowski talk about this, uh, and if you heard the scuttlebutt around the team, they went after Yamamoto. They made a fair and competitive offer. He just wanted to be on the West Coast with the Dodgers. There isn't much you can do about that. I'm not sure what else... The Phillies could have done, I suppose, Glenn, they could have added outfield depth, which is an issue now that we found out Brandon Marsh is having knee surgery or had knee surgery. But I think on the whole, if you're the Phillies, you've made your big splashy moves. The next thing you have to do is hope that guys like Marsh and Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm and Orion Kirkering and even a guy like Gregory Soto get better and are better in 2024. That's where the jump is going to come from if this team is going to take a jump forward. Did you include signing Zach Wheeler in your uh, setup here? I did not. No. I think that's the other that's, that's, that's the other yeah. shoe that has to drop and yes. And yes. I don't want to go through the season with you know like well the the time for negotiation his agent said we're done we'll talk at the end of the year. They if they signed back with Zach Wheeler before the season and therefore brought back Nola and Wheeler it's not exactly like I'm going to, you know, run to the box office and say, like, holy cow, this team, I'm so, you know, reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. But they will have accomplished the goals that they needed to accomplish. If they add somebody else, and there are a lot of good names out there, that'll be like a like a, a Christmas Hanukkah present in February. <laughs> yeah. So. And look, you're talking about marginal moves in a way here. Uh, the core of the team is what the core of this team is. It's Harper. It's Schwarber. It's Castellanos, it's the younger guys that we mentioned. Uh, 
there isn't a big move really to be made. They tried with Yamamoto. It didn't work. And so here we are. I think there are some. We'll talk about them with Jimmy Salisbury. There are names floating around out there. Bullpen names, outfield Mm. names, starter names. You know, rumors are rumors. But sometimes with uh, David Middleton, these things happen. John Middleton, excuse me. Uh, okay, um, two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four. When we get back, there is, there are a lot of Eagles out there on Radio Row where Mike is lurking sometimes, yes. saying a lot of things, including Jason <laughs> Kelsey talking yesterday in a way that I find a little bit ominous. We'll play that. We'll play Britton Covey. We'll play some Lane Johnson. You will decide. Two on five, five nine two ninety four ninety four with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. With Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Macnow. By the way, Jody McDonald and I will be on tomorrow 10 to 2 heading into uh, Super Bowl afternoon. Looking forward to that. Let's get a couple of calls, then we will play you something that Jason Kelsey said last night that uh, makes me nervous. Tom in Sicklerville <laughs> starts us. Hello, Tom. Hey, how you doing today? All right. I, hey, Tom. I, I'm just getting this... Uh... Andy Love, Andy Reid Love vibe, and I and I don't get it, and I don't dislike Andy Reid, but as an Eagles fan, I am not going to watch that Super Bowl and root for Kansas City. Andy Reid aside, I, I just I just don't feel right doing it. It's just for whatever reason, I don't understand that mentality. That if we could hang our hat on and say, hey, we lost the Super Bowl to a team that could be a dynasty, that's going to make me feel better. It doesn't. I just don't get that point. I'll That's- just say this, and then Michael would get back to his dynasty point. My point is, I didn't root for either of those two teams in the championship games, right? I rooted for Baltimore. But now i got to pick between the lesser of two evils, and to me, Kansas City is the lesser of the evil than San Francisco. Yeah, and my only point, Tom, would be that winning another Super Bowl reaffirms how good the Chiefs have been. Does it make it easier necessarily to take the fact that the Eagles had that Super Bowl last year on the palm of their hand and dropped it? No, it doesn't necessarily. But a slight mitigating factor is like you lost to Patrick Mahomes. You lost to Andy Reid. No matter what you think of Andy Reid's 14 years in Philadelphia, it's really hard to deny that the guy's an all-time great coach. And so there's a lot less shame in losing to that kind of franchise and team. I don't disagree about Andy Reid. There is no argument. I think that every year that we went into a season when he was the coach, I got a five jersey in my closet. So every year we went in thinking, hey, this team could win it this year. So kudos to him. But I just I can't openly root for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I get okay. the lesser of two evils. I just, I just can't do it. Like, I'll watch I, the game. So, I'm going to make some prop bets. But I'm not going to, like, root for either team. I can't do it. So you'll watch rooting for your money. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, not a lot, but you know, you know, it, you know what kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of a few years back when there was a bar in South Philly that was rooting for the St. Louis Blues, and all these Flyer fans were wearing St. Louis Blues jerseys and songs, and I'm thinking to myself, man, that that's just not a true fan. I could never do that. I, I, I could never put on another sweater and root because my team sucks and say, yes. hey, this makes me feel better. I, and I understand, I am not going to be wearing red and gold and painting my face uh, in Chiefs <laughs> colors as I watch the game. I just – see, Mike, this is somewhere where I think you and I are a little bit different. I cannot enjoy watching a game or a sporting event or anything unless I'm rooting for somebody. It will be the most arbitrary thing. I'll be flipping the dial. There's a, there's a, you know, a, a fight on ESPN. It's like, yeah, I like the guy in the blue trunks. <laughs> no, I, no, no good reason, but I got to root for somebody. I'm rooting for that guy. 
Yeah, I, I don't look at it that way at all. Um, I guess maybe it's that I've been conditioned over the last 20 to 25 years to yep. cover these games and look at them as, in a certain way. There are games that will draw my interest. You know, certainly when March Madness, for instance, rolls around, uh, I'm interested in every single game. And in those situations, Glenn, I will root. You know, if a St. Peter's is making a run, I absolutely will root for the underdog. But in a game like tomorrow, you know, other than wearing my Taylor Swift concert T-shirt, I'm not going to show any rooting <laughs> interest one way or another. Oh, I, you know, I bet you there is a large percentage of the population, pro and con, that is basing its rooting interest on her. Oh, we, that we absolutely about that last is true. Week. Yep, yep, that absolutely is true. Yeah, Nick no in Collegeville is up next. Nick, the Eagles are going to play in Brazil. What do we feel about that? What, wait, so they're going to go against the Eagles? I'm they're going to play in Brazil. How do we feel? Yeah, no, listen, I, I want to touch on the Kansas City thing, too. But I feel like in five years, the Super Bowl will be a paid program, like a pay-per-view. It's absolutely disgusting. I mean, these I'm not against companies and multinationals making billions of dollars. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem when, if you're an automotive maker, there's 19 different other competing competing brands. So you have to give the best product for the best quality, and people can choose. When it comes to like the NFL or life-saving medication, like these pharmaceutical companies produce, and it's like we're going to just randomly put a price on something, and you're going to take it or leave it. It just disgusts me. This Super Bowl well, in Brazil and. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Nick. Uh, Roger Goodell had a, held a press conference on Monday. Now, Goodell said during that press conference that as long as he is commissioner, the Super Bowl will not be a pay-per-view event. Now, having said that, Roger Goodell ain't going to be commissioner forever. And I think there's merit to what you're saying that, I mean, this event is the event in yeah, American that. popular culture. It just is. And I think the next commissioner, uh, if he wants to keep his job and do the bidding of NFL owners, is probably going to end up making the Super Bowl a pay-per-view event. Correct. And let me let me rephrase my statement also. Not the, not the NFL or Goodell. The owners are the greediest people I've seen in, in my lifetime. Second of all, that's what he said on behalf of his ownership's uh, teams. But Goodell, somebody fact-checked that, and Goodell, I think six or seven years ago, said, I think, first of all, we would never play overseas, and they do, and they all said there will never be a playoff game that you have to pay for. It will always be on one of our partner stations, and which is a lie because four that, or five that, years later. That is already proven. Give us what you think about along along these ways, Eagles in Brazil. Yeah, look, listen, I, some sacrifices have to be made. Like, see, that's the problem. I'm not going to say sacrifices can't be made. If the Eagles, they want to put the Eagles overseas for one game. I know our fans are going to go crazy and cry and all that, but you have to give and take a little bit, you know. But well, you're a very reasonable ball. man, and we always appreciate talking to you. I am not reasonable in that regard. <laughs> I don't like it. I just, I, it's, 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 it's not necessary. Think- it doesn't serve Eagles fans in any way to see them playing in Brazil on a Friday night. You know what I think, Glenn? I think some of this comes down to. And certainly, speaking for myself, I feel this way, and I imagine you do too. When you are coming up as a sports fan or even just as a regular person living in American society, at least up until this this time, before we got so fractured, there were just certain institutions and rhythms and routines that became part of the structure of your life, and you kind of counted on them. And one of them was 
your team, if you rooted for an NFL team, played on Sundays or Monday nights. And that's kind of just the way it was supposed to be. And now there's this change afoot where, okay, they're playing on Christmas. They're playing on a Friday night. They're going overseas. And it's, whether we want to admit it or not, it's a little unsettling to those of us who remember the olden days. And I imagine people younger than us adjust to it better. But Uh, here we are. became my grandfather. I know. I'm sorry. I I, I feel it, too. I feel like an old man, but I think that's part of what's at play here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got to get to this. So uh, the Eagles are not playing, but there are, there are a lot of them out there, and a lot of them are on Radio Row. Uh, we're going to get to a few others, but I want to start with Jason Kelsey, who was on Chris Long's Greenlight podcast yesterday, which is terrific. And this this about a minute. I, I don't even want to say anything setting it up. I'm going to play it, and then Mike Sealski, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you, excuse me, how does this – how do you interpret this? Go ahead. Okay. How are you feeling about the whole thing? And you don't know yeah. anything, do you? You're still trying to figure it out. I'll say this. I, I feel really confident that the Eagles are going to be good next year. Yeah. I still think they have great talent. I still think they have great coaches. They've added two new coaches and yeah. Kellen Moore. And, well, I don't even know. Is Kellen officially? I think he's. Yeah, I think yeah. he's there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Kellen and Vic are obviously really talented, well-respected coaches. So. They're going to have a whole offseason to figure out what's stalled out, what they can do to improve it. And with not just the coaches, but all the people in that building, I really think uh, they're going to come back with a vengeance. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a tremendous year next year. Um, I I am very confident the Eagles are going to be very, very good. So I'm trying not to let that affect what's happening because I really want the decision of whether I'm going to play to just be based on whether I want to do it. Selfishly, I need to make that decision of can I commit, can I mentally be there, and do I want to endure that again. Um, Winning helps that, but I, I think that you know, you, you're trying to not factor that in, I guess, in the decision. All right, Mike Sielski, Um He says he's undecided on what he is mm-hmm. going to do. But when you hear that, what do you hear? To me, Glenn, the most telling word that Jason Kelsey used in those remarks was they. He Seven referred times. To the, he referred to the Eagles as they. And I know he hasn't made a decision yet. And I know that this has been something that has been on his mind, not just in the aftermath of this past season, but last season and for years before that, really every year since uh, 2018. I can remember being in the locker room in the Superdome in New Orleans after they lost that playoff game to the Saints, and he was really weighing in that moment whether he thought he was going to retire or come back or whatever. And I know this is a difficult decision for him, but if just based on those remarks and based on a little bit of news that, that came out yesterday, it sounds to me like he's leaning toward retiring. What's the news that came out yesterday? Well, front office sports, uh, Michael McCarthy, who used to be the media sports media reporter at USA Today for years and years and now has his own website or works for front office sports, reported that that Jason had met with officials from Fox and ESPN uh, to discuss the possibility of working in television. Well, um, at some point he should do that. If he wants to do that now, that's obviously uh, his decision and consulting with his family. And I wouldn't blame him a bit if he retired. Um, Me neither. You know, he's he's given so much to this franchise. To go out on his own terms is would be great. I really would love to see him play another year. I know the station is trying to put together a don't leave Jason Kelsey day, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of cool. 
to to what you said, I counted. He said they seven times referring to the team, and he said the Eagles twice. He didn't yep. say we once. Nope. So, yeah, I interpreted it the same way you did. I would hate to see it happen. I'm, I would say I'm leaning toward 75% that he retires. Yeah, I think that's probably where I am, too. And this is not an easy thing for him. You know, as, as real and raw and authentic as Jason is, he is also, as we've seen, he can be an emotional guy, too. And I have to think that every night when he's putting his head on the pillow, he is going back and forth and deciding what to do, and he feels a sense of obligation to the team and a sense of obligation to the fan base. Uh, but ultimately, he's got to do what's best for Jason Kelsey and for Kylie and their daughters. And the more I listen to him speak publicly, the more I think that's going to be walking away. And he's got to tell him soon. Free agency opens on March the 13th, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, well, March 13th is when teams are permitted to talk to their own guys. March the 15th mm-hmm. is when the whole thing opens. And then the draft is in late April. And they yeah. got to know what his plan is. So he's... I would think he's got to decide by the end of the month. Yeah, we're coming up on on a deadline. And like I said, would it surprise me if he decided to come back? Yeah, I think at this stage I would be surprised. I think there's an element of what we've seen from him over the last couple of weeks, you know, him being at the Bills-Chiefs game and his shirt off and enjoying himself that I I don't know this for certain. I'm just kind of guessing based on what I've seen and what I've heard from him that this is I'm going to enjoy this one last go-round as long as my brother is in the playoffs and I'm going to enjoy being uh, an NFL player after his season is finished one last time before I make the decision. It's going to be a, what's the word I'm looking for, wistful day when that occurs? Oh, I think so, yeah. I think so. I don't think you'll be able to go anywhere in the greater Philadelphia area, turn on any local news station, listen to any radio show or podcast where that speech from the Super Bowl parade (laughs) <laughs> won't be playing. Uh, you know, you'll hear it out of people's cars on repeat, I think, throughout that day when Jason Kelsey decides to retire. Who would have thought that a center drafted in the sixth round would become one of the all-time truly beloveds? It's really something. Yeah, it's a remarkable story. It really is. All right, we want to hear from you. At 11 o'clock, we're going to talk some Phillies baseball with our pal Jim Salisbury, and we're going to take your calls all day. 215-592-9494, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, hey, if this cold winter hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, maybe the great people at Guided Door and Window can help. They're going to give you one more month to do so at their best prices of the year. If you haven't taken advantage of Guided's big winter sale, here's your chance, last chance to do so. You get 40% off every window and door. Yes, 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window that also includes free, high-performance, low-E glass, and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer will expire at the end of February, so don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. With Mike Sielski out in Las Vegas, I'm Glenn Mack now here in uh, beautiful Delaware Valley. I heard it was 52 degrees in Vegas the other day. It has been relatively cold. It is not warm. And, in fact, people have told me that Vegas gets roughly two weeks of freezing temperatures every year. 
not quite freezing, but not the balmy conditions that you would have expected. No, we were in the 50s. Yeah. And we've had such a such a gentle winter so far. It's been great. Well, we're not going to have one now that you said that. We're probably nah, going to get please. a foot of snow. I don't believe in such curses. That's nonsense. So I, I, I promised a grumpy old man segment here, and I've already done most of it with the Eagles in Brazil <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 and – the NFL creep into Friday night. Um, the league had its news, the Goodell news conference this week, and as opposed to previous years, it was by invitation only, Mike. And you did not get an invite? How dare they? I did not get an invite. Uh, you know, I don't know. I've got to uh, I've got to be more positive about pro football, I guess, Glenn. Well, so that's, that's the question. They don't know who you are? Who? <laughs> Do you know who I am? Who? I'm Mo who, Green. Who got invited and who didn't? Uh, a lot of uh, national reporters, uh, a lot of people at the NFL Network and ESPN and rights holders. Uh, I do know of a national reporter to whom the league reached out to say, hey, if you're going to be there, could you ask about X, Y, and Z? So really? you see where the league was kind of Whoa. going with this to a great degree. I'm hoping that person declined that opportunity. Yes, I believe that person did. Wow, that's yeah. terrible. Well, look, this is the Come world we live in Come to our news conference now, and, and ask us this question? Yeah, this is the world we live in. These leagues and these teams uh, restrict <clears throat> access as much as they possibly can. And I think it's a mistake on a lot of levels, but I also, one of the reasons I think it's such a big mistake is that, let's be honest here, conflict and controversy are part of the reason that people follow sports. And if these coaches and executives and commissioners aren't getting asked questions that make them uncomfortable. The whole exercise of following sports becomes less interesting. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. And here's this. Uh, so here's my other gripe. And this is, I mean, this is not new, but I think it's getting worse. I think the Super Bowl is the worst league championship of all of them to this regard. The games can be great and it's a mm-hmm. national holiday and, I'm gathering with about five friends in my house and, I don't know, getting ribs or whatever I'm going to end up doing. But it is the least, again, this is, you know, you move a football game to Brazil, Eagle fans can't go. Nobody can afford to go to the Super Bowl. I was reading yesterday uh, GameTime.co, the leading app site for last-minute tickets, mm-hmm. has released updated ticket price details for the game. Currently, the lowest price get-in seats are $8,200 a piece. Yep. yep. The top-end seats are $37,000. Um, I saw on national news last night, they were doing a feature on it, and the uh, the airport, McCarran, is that the name of the airport, right? Harry Reid. Oh, they, it's now Harry Reid Airport. Okay. Yeah. Has now added 18 extra acres of private jet parking. Yep. If the Flyers yep. or the Sixers make the the finals, if the Phillies make the World Series, we've seen it. You can go. If you're if you're a fan, you probably can get in one way or another. 37, 40,000 Phillies fans will get to go to see the Phillies in the NLCS or in the World Series. They did. More because most people go to one or two games. Mhm. You don't get to go to the, the the Super Bowl. I don't know how many Eagles fans went last year to uh, 2000, maybe. I don't know. But there's swells. It's not average people. The Super Bowl is the worst league championship because it is out of touch for the people who support it all year. Yeah. And this is my screed today. 
Well, it's part of a trend, too, Glenn. You're right, but it's not just the Super Bowl and it's not just the NFL. You know, we're talking about a situation in which ticket prices to sporting events, CNN just had a report about this, increased by 15% from 2022 to 2023. The government just came out with a report, I think in 2020 or so, that, that prices for admission to sporting events grew faster than overall consumer prices by, by a factor of two. It's, it's mm. twice as expensive to go to a sporting event uh, compared to buying milk or groceries or anything else, gas or anything else that you pay for. And it just seems to me that these leagues are trying so hard to cater to a particular segment of the population and are are ignoring the vast majority of people who follow the sport and are interested in the sport that at some point it has to come back and bite them. Maybe I'm wrong about that, uh, but I just feel like there's going to be a tipping point at some point, and I don't know if these leagues are are prepared for it. You know what else is the exact same way? When's the last time you bought a ticket for a concert? Exactly. Holy cow. Yeah. $400, yeah. $500, what a, whoa. Yeah, Disney World a couple of years ago changed its entire, Disney changed its entire strategy for its theme parks to cater to wealthier people because they said to them, Disney said to itself, we can have wealthy people continue to come back to the parks rather than lower prices to open it up to a far wider segment of the population. Mm. And that's... I'm sorry, yeah. that's just not right. That's yeah, not Disney. right. Yeah, Disney's for everybody. Not that I love exactly. Disney, but Disney is a thing that every nine-year-old in America should get the chance to go to. Exactly. Apparently, U2 in Las Vegas, at least, is doing their part. Their tickets are usually $500. They lowered them to 70 this week. So I guess, no, theoretically, nice. make it cheaper for the people who are paying ten grand for seats. have all the money to go anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good right, for let's Bono. Let's get, get to our pal Rick and Easton. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Rick. I paid close to $1,000 to watch Sebastian Maniscalco, for God's sake. Did you there really? You yeah. You, wow. to, you wow. want to sit close to the stage, my, my wife and I, we had to spend close to a grand. It's great. Mike, you're a and fan a of comedian. his, right? Is he, is he worth a thousand bucks? I would not. I, good. I, 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 am, I am a fan of his. I would not pay $1,000. All this, guys, all this makes me think of that line in the movie Jerry Maguire, where the, the one, uh, Renee Zellweger's character says, First class is the problem. It used to be a better seat. Now it's a better life. But we only and, spent a, but we only spent a hundred dollars to see a tribute to ABBA last night at the Eastern Theater, and that was there. Cool, you go. By the way. Take a chance on a ticket like <laughs> that, it, Rick. It evens itself out, Mike. I love you, buddy. I'm Mo Green. Boy, where did that get him? Right. <laughs> now, real a quick, bullet guys, in the eye. Being a suffering baby boomer, not getting my share of rings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to talk dynasties real quick, and then I want to go to Phillies if I can. I already think, I don't know if you have to win a championship two or three times or four to be a dynasty. I already think Kansas City and the Houston Astros, with their appearances and their rings, are already dynasties. Yeah, Rick, in in this age of free agency and and player movement, I think the standard, you're right, has lowered for what a dynasty is. You're not going to have situations like the Yankees in the 50s and the 60s or the 40s. You're not going to have the Lombardi Packers or the Shula Dolphins. It's just too difficult, which makes what, honestly, 
Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did in New England over a 20-year period. So remarkable. Yeah, but you have right, to give so, Andy a lot of credit for what's happening in Kansas no, City. Right, let's, de- let's define a dynasty. I would define a dynasty in one of the four major sports. You're right. It's not going to be with the Celtics back and then Bill Russell went in, what, 10 out of 11 years or some sure. craziness. Mm-hmm. And I think there were eight teams in the league. Or, you know, it, it's, it was a different world. Or Yogi world, Berra so. with the Yankees. Right. So I would say now to be a dynasty, you have to win multiple world championships, be in the finals slash Super Bowl slash World Series at least three or four times and have a consistently good team over an eight eight year period or more. I got news is that is that a minimum for a dynasty? I, is that I a good think parameter? That's a great, great point. Great point. I think I think Andy Reid is like really on 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 that path with that quarterback and with that defense and with them making adjustments. I mean, God, they were almost left for dead in the middle of the season. They had six losses, and now people think they're going to win the Super Bowl. It's just it, it's incredible what he's done. I want to go baseball with you real quick, and and you're a contract guy. I learned a lot about contracts sitting next to you at the Inquirer, Glenn. You know that. And I'm just going to say, I have to ask you guys a, a question. I don't know what they were going to spend for the pitcher they didn't get that went to the Dodgers. I don't yeah, know I'm what they were going to spend. But they're worth $2.7 billion, close to $2.7 billion. Bellinger is still available, is he not? Yes, he is. Is it, is it financial suicide? Are they going to go bankrupt if they go and get Bellinger? Because I have a feeling they're going to need – those Bellinger numbers, because I'm concerned about Schwarber, I'm concerned about Real Muto, I'm concerned about Castellanos, would it be suicide financially for the Phillies to go get Bellinger? No, I don't think it would. I think what might be stopping them, and I don't know this for certain, Rick, is do they want to give a guy like a Brandon Marsh or a Johan Rojas even a chance to develop into something? I, that I don't know, Glenn. Um you know, I haven't talked to Dave Dombrowski or anybody else in the organization about that. I don't know what your take is, but that seems to me to be the only thing that might give them he- hesitation or pause. So Dombrowski was on the morning show the other day, a uh, nice interview by uh, Joe DeCamera, by the way, and basically said, you know, the question is, are you done? And he said, well, if something falls in our lap, we'll we'll do it. And I think what was meant by that is, the guys who are still out there, and we're going to talk to Jim Salisbury in just a minute, so I'm going to wrap this up quick. Uh, the guys who are out there have very high price tags. If one of them happens to come down, then they would make the move. But I do think they I, I do think they want to commit to some of those young guys. Hey, let's talk to Jim coming up. Why don't Sounds we? good to me. 215-592-9494. We'll, we'll talk base, baseball with a real expert coming up. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Try it one more time. He's ahead one and two. The pitch. Swing and a miss. He got him with a curve. Seven strikeouts for Aaron Nola as he strolls off the mound to wrap up this sixth inning. Well, that was one of the, obviously, Aaron Nola highlight from last year. And bringing back Aaron Nola was the big news of the Phillies offseason so far. Uh, it is it is our pleasure to check in with one of our old dear friends and a guy who knows baseball as well as anybody in this area code, Jim Salisbury. Jim, how you been, pal? Doing all right. How are you, Glenn? We're all right. Very nice Good to, to talk, talk to you, Jimmy. Hello, Michael. How are you? Great. All right. So let's let's get to analyzing the Phillies offseason. Um, Aaron Nola was the big deal. Uh, they brought in Allard, uh, relief pitcher. Interestingly, between those two deals, they spent as much as any team in the offseason other than the Dodgers – 
so far. Right. Has it been a successful offseason? Well, I look at it this way. The number one priority, and pretty much the number one priority always is starting pitching. And their number one priority was uh, getting a top-notch starting pitcher, and they retained one. So um, I think on that in that regard, they fulfilled their number one mission. They got a starting pitcher. Uh, they haven't done a lot otherwise, but I just think you need to kind of frame that around – recent history i mean the last basically the last five off seasons they've brought in marquee talent from real mudo to wheeler to harper to castiano schwarber uh retain nola they don't have a ton of holes um and at some point you need to inject some youth into your lineup to balance out your your age group and to balance out your payroll and they have some promising guys that They've done that with that, that everybody likes in Bowman Stott. Um, and they have a couple more in the outfield in Rojas and um, Marsh. I mean, you can't do a marquee de- uh, move every winter. They did one with Aaron Nola. Uh, but I understand how people want more um, because they made their move early. Uh, and there's still a whole bunch of guys out there. Um, and, you know, team construction doesn't stop. Uh, at the winter meetings, it doesn't stop at first day of spring training, doesn't stop at opening day. You can build your team right up until a trade deadline. Uh, they have a history of doing that. You know, they're great teams, 07 to 11. They, they tweaked a lot at midseason. Dombrowski has a history of doing that. I can see them continuing to do that. Uh, I also think they also have a recent history of, of even not that recent. I mean, I remember leaving for spring training in 2014 and, and, they signed um, A.J. Burnett, like, moments after, yeah. after they got to Clearwater. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Castellanos and Schwarber. I mean, Castellanos was kind of one of those guys, hey, he's still out there. What do you think? Well, let's do it. Um, and Arietta was kind of like, hey, he's still out there. What do you think? Let's do it. Because at the winter meetings that year, there was no way they were signing him. But his market came down. It almost feels like this is that climate again because there's some guys out there. Spring training is – is coming up this week. Um, I know some of the guys they've signed want guarantees of playing time. That makes it tough midwinter. But once, you know, guys start throwing bullpens in Clearwater and you start seeing those images pop up on your TV of guys in spring training, all of a sudden players get antsy and they they're, maybe their demands for mm-hmm. playing time mm-hmm. um, soften a little bit and you can get one of them. So I think the Phillies are still going to do something. Long, long way of saying that. I still think they're in on – I mean, they're, I think they're more than interested bystanders on Jordan Montgomery, uh, depending on where his market goes. And um, with, I, they've been looking for outfielder uh, versatility, bench steps, whatever you want to call it, um, for a while. And there's a bunch of those guys. And I really expect them to, to bring in another position guy, right-handed bat type, that, that can help maybe all over the diamond, maybe in left field. And I think the surgery with Marsh, though not serious, maybe – um, heightens that need. Jimmy, you mentioned some of the younger guys uh, that they have on the roster already who they, and who need to take steps forward, guys like Brandon Marsh and you know Bryson Stott, guys like, like that. Dombrowski's history, not to paint with too broad a brush, is he builds a team that either wins or contends for a World Series, and then those teams tend to fall off relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm asking is, Given the age of the stars on this team, the guys like a Harper or Real Muto or Schwarber, 
there's already pressure on this team to get to and win a World Series as it is. Does that get ramped up a little bit just based on Dombrowski's history in the sense that, hey, we can't expect Kyle Schwarber to hit 48 home runs every single season. Uh, we, we need to make this happen right now. Well, I do think there is a uh, an atmosphere or an attitude down there that, you know, like you said, to use your quote, we need to make this happen right now. Um, these people are very smart people. They know the ages of their players. They know the odometer readings. They know the medical reports. Uh, they lived through a previous era not that long ago where they got old, banged up, and ineffective. Um, and, and Dombrowski lived through that in Detroit as well. They know they need to win it soon. <laughs> I, I mean, they've invested so much payroll. Um, they have so much star power. The fans want it so bad. Ownership wants it so bad and has spent um, right up with that appetite. I mean, they've really put their money where their mouth is. Uh, you know, I think that they're in the middle of this window and they need to cash in soon here because, you know, Harper's now north of 30 and, and, and Turner's north of 30. Castiano, Schwarber, Real Mudo. I, mean, I haven't even mentioned Wheeler and, and Nola. Yeah, they need to cash in soon. They have the type of team that can do it. I mean, I think that urgency will be shown in um, filling holes at, at, at midseason. I think if they think they're a player away, they're going to have to go out and do something. If it's, you know, I mean, the area everybody points to is closer, and there's always guys out there. And I think there's going to be closer types out there, talented closers at, at the at the off season, and I'm sorry, at midseason. And, and I think they might roll with what they have right now, but that's an area that um, I think they would be aggressive on if they have to, because right? I think they have to be aggressive. I think that's one of the reasons their ears are probably still open on, on Jordan Montgomery. His market hasn't developed the way maybe he had envisioned. It's getting late. Um, maybe he takes a shorter term deal. Maybe all of a sudden uh, you go for it um, because you're already in deep. You're already in deep yep. uh, in terms of the payroll and the, and the, and the tax. And you also know the clock is ticking. So, you know, all those factors uh, create urgency, even I think really beyond Dave Dombrowski. I mean, I mean, because they started to assemble some of this talent before him. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And they this, by the way, go ahead. All of this sounds like me at the poker table, by the way. <laughs> You're in deep. Might as well just go in deeper. So you, you talked about the closer, and Dave Dombrowski was on uh, WIP this week, the morning show, and was asked about that and said, I think it's the decision we'll make in the spring. And he mentioned all the names, Alvarado and Soto, who, you know, you said could bounce back, Sir Anthony, uh, Hoffman. Didn't even discount Kierker in closing games, committee, et cetera. But there are rumors out there, and I don't know if they make any sense. Uh, one that I don't love is uh, this came out of Boston, that the Phillies are in, quote, active talks with the Red Sox on Kenley Jansen, who makes a lot of money and I think is is on the downward side of it. And the other one out of Cleveland was that Emmanuel Classe, uh, mm-hmm. who's young, who had 44 saves last year, but – his whip, his ERA were way up. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see either of these potentially happening before this season, or is this, as you said, the kind of thing you look at midseason? I mean, you know, I've prefaced any answer with I don't know. You never know what opportunity is going to drop in their lap. But those two names have been out there for months. Yeah. I mean, Fosse was talked about at, at at the winter meetings. I mean, everybody and their grandmother knows that Jansen's available, but he's owed $16 million getting old he did lead the american league i think in saves last year as an all-star classe uh classe had a bunch of saves too i think they might have tied who knows 
But um, um, the thing with Class A is he's good. Uh, he's got some fine print. Um, like you said, some of the performance slipped last year. He had a PED suspension a few years ago. Uh, oh, yeah. On top of that, he's got maybe like one of the best contracts in baseball. So to get a talent like that with that type of control and, you know, relatively modest salary commitment, you're going to have to pay through the nose talent-wise. Um, and I don't know that the Phillies uh, really want to do that right now. Or, and if they did, they probably would have done it already. Because like I said, I think this stuff's been going on for a while. Uh, everybody knows that the Tiger, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Guardians uh, are a team that, you know, develops pretty well and that says goodbye when guys get expensive or tries to mm-hmm. move a guy um, to restock a system or something. So, um, you know, the, the closer from Pittsburgh might be out there, depending on how that team does um, in July. Uh, Devin Williams, you never know what might happen with Milwaukee, Jansen, Classe. You, you're, pick, you're picking all the teams that you can poach off of. Yeah. Right? All, well, yeah all those small market I, teams that don't hold on to guys. Yeah. That's how I view the closer position. I think I look at the Phillies bullpen. There's some firepower down there with Alvarado, Durantini, um Soto. Gregory Soto, Austin, yeah. Kirkman, who am I? I'm probably forgetting somebody, but, you know, this is a team that doesn't even like the name of closer. Girardi wouldn't name a closer. I mean, I know Kimbrell was it for like four months last year, but I don't know if still Thompson's acknowledged it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, you get – I think you can get somebody hot, get him on a roll. You might find your guy in-house, and then you and then you, then you, you tweak midseason. I mean, Arizona went out and got their closer midseason and a good trade, and, and – he took him to help him get to the World Series. So I think that's an area – and, again, he might make a move tomorrow if the right opportunity is there, but I think it's an area you can address down the road. I look at where they are and their winning curve and their championship window and their, their payroll commitments and the fact that they've got to get one soon here. And I look at the drop-off in the rotation after number three, and I think Jordan Montgomery makes a lot of sense if his market comes down to a place where they – can deal with it, much like Castellano, happened to Castellano. By the way, much like I, I just want to interject. To I want to interject before Mike asks a question. Montgomery, a Boris client, like Cody Bellinger, yeah. a Boris client, like Blake Snell, a Boris client. Yeah, well, not, not coincidence a, that they're uh, waiting it out. Cody Bellinger has a qualifying offer, so you're going to give up draft pick and maybe international money. But Montgomery, he does not have that qualifying offer. Um, right. So he might, and he's a, like you said, he's a Boris guy, and you know, Castellanos was a Boris guy. He came late. Uh, Arietta was a Boris guy. He came late. And the clubhouse is loaded with Boris guys from, you know, Bohm and, and uh, Harper, of course. And Hoskins was one. Um, and there's others. So, and they have, you know, once upon a time, they were very reluctant to do business with Scott Boris. I remember well. I was kind of caught in the middle of it at times. And um, um, now, you know, he has a great relationship with Dombrowski. He has a great relationship with uh, John Middleton. Mm-hmm. But you never know. You, you never know. Um, uh, I, I still think they'll probably get a, an outfielder. Um, maybe got somebody with some versatility swings from the right side, maybe, and because uh, that would allow you maybe some flexibility if you wanted to protect Marsh a little bit. So I, I, I don't think their off-season moves are done, and I don't think their team construction is done until July. We're talking to Jim Salisbury, longtime baseball insider. Nobody knows the Phillies better. And Jimmy, I kind of have a a bigger picture question related to the Phillies. This is something that fascinates me about 
baseball in this age, which is the difference between a team during the regular season and a, and the team in the postseason. And we've seen this a little bit the last couple of years where over the course of 162 games, the Phillies' approach to mash the ball and hit a lot of mm-hmm. home runs will get them in the postseason. You know, they win 90 games last year, and that can certainly carry them through a round or two or three in the postseason if they get hot. But when they get mm-hmm. cold, as we saw against the Diamondbacks in the League mm-hmm. Championship Series and we saw against the Astros the previous year in the World Series, man, it can be rough. Is there mm-hmm. anything, whether it's acquiring another player or two or a different kind of approach that the team can take to mitigate that, or do you just kind of have to roll the dice with, with the kind of team you are? Yeah, I, I hear guys talking approach all the time, and we're going to fix our approach and change our approach and work on our approach. But, you know, when it com- comes down to it, you kind of are what you are when you get, you know, 28, 29, 30, 32 years old in the big leagues as a hitter. Um, you know, there's guys in that lineup that are prone to chasing. You know, can they improve it a little bit? Sure, at times. But, you know, I think in a, in a lot of ways, all hitters, except for like Tony Gwynn's and Wade Boggs, I mean, a lot of hitters are streaky. Um, you know, you go through cold spells. You know, this lineup, you mentioned like postseason. I do see a little difference in postseason play. I think defense base running are so magnified. I think it's a lot that way. And even in basketball, where defense is much more magnified in postseason. But, you know, I, I look at the Phillies, I think they're prone to cold streaks in the regular season as well. They just hurt mm-hmm. more in the, um, they hurt more in the postseason. During the regular season, you know, you'll look up and they, oh, they lost five in a row. They scored one run in, in three of these games. What's happening? It's just the nature of their lineup. And it's the nature of a lot of lineups um, because there's just not as many contact hitters anymore. The pit, the velocities are so high. Um, it's just, you know, the game has really, the game has really changed. So many guys looking to mash against these high velocities create swing and miss. Um, you know, that's why, you know, I kind of give – I thought the Diamondbacks had a really good series and a uh, good approach those last two nights in Philadelphia, and the Phillies got tight and they swung and missed. And one of those cold spells reared their reared its head at, the, at a horrible time. But they rear their head during the season, and I think it's going to be more of the same this year. You're going to see cold spells that frustrate you. But in the end, this is a team that scored almost five runs a game last year. Um, it's, I think they were like fourth in the NL. I, I just don't think scoring runs is going to be a problem for them. You know, some nights, yeah. Some little stretches, some weeks, yeah. But on the whole, they're going to score a lot of runs. I'm not worried about their lineup. Um, I mean, not even worry about who they lead off. I think they got three candidates, and they're all different. And there's like more than one way to skin a cat. What matters is, is you win ball games. And I, so I like their lineup. Um, I think they'll do more with a hitter off the bench. And um, I guess my big concern is my, the bullpen's really not my concern because I think they're going to fix that if they have problems. I think they have talent there. For me, it's always about starting pitching. And I'm just curious about the drop-off after number three. And, they, yeah. you know, I think yeah. they could do something maybe and, to shore that up. Because you've got Sanchez, a talented kid. He could help you in the bullpen if you picked up somebody. I love your call for Jordan Montgomery. All right, two quick ones because we've got to hit a break, so just if you can give quick answers. One, do you see there being a, a uh, I don't want to say a future, do you see a contribution this coming year from Johan Rojas? And last question, do you think they'll get Zach Wheeler signed before the season? Boy, 
I think Rojas is, is a developing player, and, and we'll see what type of contributions he makes. I certainly, certainly think if he's out there, he can save you some runs, and, that, and that's super important. Uh, we'll see where he goes um, offensively. He did a lot of work apparently with him this winter. I would have, I'm just, you know, I probably would have thought about playing him for a month or so in winter ball because I think there's no substitute for live at bats, but there's a lot of things they can do now in these hitting clinics they have. So I guess they went that route. And Wheeler, I think they're going to sign Wheeler. I think he loves it here. I think he's become, you know, this great pitcher here. Um, I still shake my head that the Mets had no interest in retaining him. It's remarkable. The they spent on, on other pitchers. He's become a great one here. He's become a great Philly. I think he loves it here. I think he really respects um, uh, Caleb Cotham, the pitching coach. They, that relationship's really good. I think he likes ownership. He likes the fans. He likes Philly. So I, I think he's coming back. I just think it's going to be really, really expensive. Yeah. Well, as you say, this is a team that's in for in for what in for in a for dime, a dime in, for, in a for a billion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Jim yeah, Salisbury. Let, like, I think you're not going to let like one thing hold you back when you when you're this close. That's right. kind of the way I feel about it. Yeah, it would be crazy to let him go, Jim Salisbury. It is a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, hopefully, we get to talk to you during the season. Be well, my friend. All the best to you and yours. All right, Glenn. See you, Mike. Right, Take care, Jimmy. Go. Thanks. It he's is, the best. It, he's the best. Always love it. I, I used to, in the press box, if there was an empty seat, try to sit next to him because just the wisdom I was hoping would kind of fall off of him onto me. Mm-hmm. Didn't always work, you, but, but I did get some <laughs> You ain't the only one who's tried that. Trust me. Yeah. Um, Jordan Montgomery, man, he brought that up yeah. several times, unprompted by us. Jordan Montgomery last year started with the Cardinals who had a bad year ended up with the Rangers he's a free agent I've been following it. the Rangers have shown pardon me 31 years old 31 years old the Rangers have, have not shown interest in re-signing him uh had a 320 ERA last year in 189 innings and other than Nola and Wheeler there aren't a lot of pitchers in the major leagues that give you 189 innings no he's made at least 30 starts each of the last three years he's pretty durable uh you got to look at him. Look, like Jim said, this is not a time for this franchise to be saying, well, we can't really open up our wallets for that. Yeah. Uh, this is the way they do things. This is the way Middleton and Dombrowski want to do things. You get a strike while the iron is hot, and if you can get Jordan Montgomery, you do it. I'm in. All right, 215-592-9494. So we got Super Bowl. We got the Eagles' future, Jason Kelsey's future. That was seemed a little ominous. Throw some baseball in there. We talked sixes earlier. So really, whatever's on your mind, good time to get into us. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. Uh, Mike, I'm going to tell you about a phenomenal series that I just finished watching and also the, um, the, the start of the final season of Curb. Ooh. These two things could not be more opposite. So I'm going to start with I'm, the other one first because it's, well, it's I'm, really I'm glad you're, I'm I'm glad you're watching something because being out here in Vegas, the only time that my television has been on is when I'm back in the hotel room and I put on forensic files to try to f- help me fall asleep. So okay. uh, you got it covered this week. Well, when you get back, by the way, because we're going to talk about this next week, watch that documentary 
uh, the, the great was it the greatest night in pop history, the biggest night in pop history that I watched. That I know you want to watch. So I don't want to review that yet, but that's pretty, yeah. Pretty no, cool. it's it's on my list. I'm going to do it. All right. So I just finished watching a series called A Small Light. It's on Disney Plus and Hulu. It was actually a Nat Geo limited series that came out last summer. Um, this is very different from what I usually watch or recommend. It's not a British cop show. It's not a detective series. It's not a goofy sitcom or a streaming big brand prestige TV show, but it's great. So background, you know that I am now in rehearsal to be in the play Diary of Anne Frank mm -hmm. in April at the PCS Theater in Swarthmore. Tickets at pcstheater.org. You can buy them now. Um, so my interest in this history is peaked. And I learned about this show because we are in SAG after. We're in there. That's our union. It represents mm -hmm. radio people, screen actors, because, you know, I have so much in common with George Clooney. Well, yes. Um, anyway, that Apart gets from the looks. Apart from the looks. Yes. Yeah. That gets me a vote in the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And uh, I'm looking at the ballots and I see this show, A Small Light, on Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, the British actress, her name is Belle Powley. She's nominated for Best Actress. I don't know her. I don't know this show. So I look it up. It's a seven-part series about the people, specifically the woman, who hid Anne Frank's family and others in an attic in Amsterdam for two years during World War II. Um, Meep Geese is the name of the real-life heroine, and her story or how she hid this poor people is amazing. It's one mm -hmm. of these where fact outshines fiction. Uh, and mostly because I'm in the play, but also just, and I'm Jewish, and I learned all of this growing up. I wanted to check it out. It's an amazing show. It's phenomenal. It's compelling. It is riveting. Uh, give me more adjectives, Mike. Um, it's all of those. Dramatic. Things. Yes. It is um, inspiring. Yes. Spellbinding. Um, the circumstances for this are, this is just a normal young woman, 20-something, enjoys life, fun-loving, who lands a job working for a gentleman named Otto Frank, who, by the way, that's played really magnificently by Lev Schreiber. Oh, um, wow. Okay. That's the only actor in it that I would recognize. Um, and, you know, you, you, I don't know if you know something about him. He's, Lev Schreiber is one of the few who can be a great actor by saying almost nothing. Yes. Like a couple was, of words, a look, he, and he gets it done. Yeah, he was absolutely wonderful as Marty Baron the editor at the time of the Boston Globe in Spotlight, which is one yeah. of my favorite movies about yeah. the Globe's coverage of the Catholic Church uh, pedophilia scandal. Yep. Uh, and he's great in this. And he's great because he, he doesn't say much. He gives you a look and he gives you, like, dignity. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the story, um, the Germans invade the Netherlands. They start shipping the Jewish residents to concentration camps. Most of them get taken. Some of them escape. Some go into hiding, which is this story. And some of it focuses on those eight people hiding upstairs, just their cramped day-to-day -day lives, trying to survive, trying to keep their hope alive while they're living in an attic. But more of the show focuses on this brave woman, Meep, that's her name, and her equally brave husband who work with the resistance, smuggling out children and stealing ration cards and risking their own lives to save others and it's a bit of a tough watch at first if the subject upsets you, but there are, are there a lot of uplifting scenes and occasional humor. And I'm just telling you, if you watch the first episode, you're going to binge to the next and the next and the next. Uh, the bottom line message is that this is an ordinary young woman who rises to extraordinary circumstances. 
A Small Light is a great series about mm -hmm. resistance and courage and the risks that everyday people just took to hold on to their humanity. I give it an A. I mean, I give it a, a 9 out of 10, and, I, and I've finished watching it, and I love it. So it's, there you go. And it's, look, the subject matter cannot possibly be more relevant than it is right now. Yeah, it just can't. Amen. That's right. So, yeah, I, I, I'm in. I will, I will, once I get home on Monday, I will watch the We Are the World documentary, The Greatest Not in Pop Music, which I think is on Netflix, and we'll review that yeah. next week. And, uh, and I will definitely dive into A Small Light. All right. In other news, <laughs> I started watching the final scene of Curb last week. Yes. Uh, and I know you're a fan. Uh-huh. And it got Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David. It got mixed reviews. Uh, I think you and I follow some of the same people on Twitter who review mm -hmm. stuff. And I was like, oh, I loved it. Oh, it's great I, to hear. I, the, I thought it was great. It opens with him getting in his car, and he uses Siri as his GPS, and he gets into a fight with Siri. That <laughs> was just spot on, Larry David. He has a butt dial disaster, which is you know, beautiful because it it's like Seinfeld into Larry David, which is just the stupid things that can happen to you day by day, and how poorly he handles those things. You know, I I wonder if the reviews. And again, I haven't seen a second of the season yet, obviously. But I wonder if the reviews are born out of the fact that expectations for the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm are so high that any moment where a reviewer feels like this isn't quite as good as it used to be causes the reviewer to say, you know what? It's not very good. Yeah, I think that could be that, you know, we've waited two years. He's done. I think he's done 11 seasons in 24 years or something. The show's been going on forever. Yeah. And he doesn't do it very often, so we've all waited, waited, waited. I liked it a lot. Dan Wilson, I know you watched it. What did you think? I did. No, I, I really liked the episode. Little, like I, I was telling you during the break, there were a few bits in the early part of the episode that I thought they could have even explored more, like that part about yelling at Siri. I was waiting for someone he knows to walk by with the window down and be like, how could you say such horrible things? And he has to like talk his way out of it. <laughs> right, I think he's talking to someone. <laughs> you think he's right. talking to someone. Uh, there was a, th a thing with a waiter who's working... A uh, day after his mom passed away, and Larry uh -huh. can only think about himself and say, "Oh my God, now I have to leave a sympathy tip." And he goes and steals the food uh, off the guy's plate. But I was waiting for the waiter to reprimand him for that. Uh, yeah. But the punchline at the end, which I don't want to spoil for Mike, uh, I think makes the episode worth it. It's funny the way they stage the whole thing. Uh, it's not a punchline that I felt or saw coming, but it's a uh, political commentary uh, on you know, kind of what's going on in the world right now. And it really set the tone for what I hope to be a really, really strong final season. Yeah, liked it. And, um, I mean, I think most of our audience is aware of Curve and like it. Uh, one other thing I watched this week was the premiere of Abbott Elementary Season 3. Oh, which, it's my uh, wife's new favorite show. It's it's a really good show. It, it it's, is. You know what it is for me? Like, I'll watch that really tough show that I talked about, A Small Light, Mm -hmm. And then I got to end the night with like, my wife really more than I like what we call like, a relief show. Mm -hmm. Like now that we watch something heavy, like let's just watch something fun or funny. Uh, season three, episode one, guest appearance by Jalen Hurts. And Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey too. Right? Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey. There's a smaller. I mean, they have like one or two lines. Jalen Hurts has a lot. I will say this about Jalen Hurts. I very much like him as my quarterback of the Eagles. He did not have a particularly good season, but I think he will bounce back. I'm confident about his future. He, uh, he's he got a lot of charisma. He handles himself well. I like a lot of things he stands for. He's not the best actor-athlete you ever saw. <laughs> in your life. 
not. That's right. I did see that scene uh, that he oh, pops up in. Yeah. And what, what I like about Abbott Elementary is I'm a sucker for shows or movies where people talk, the characters talk like real people and are funny in the way that they speak. Like I'm a, when the Coen brothers, for instance, do comedies, mm-hmm. their comedies make me laugh out loud from the dialogue, the things that they have their characters say and the way they say them. And Abbott Elementary has that all over the place. I yeah. think Quinta Brunson is brilliant. I think she's hilarious. And that scene between her and Jalen is very, very funny. It I've is. And I'll stand by what I said. I like Jalen Hurts. He's a very talented guy. This is not his strong suit. Okay. So so before we go to so, the break. So he's got to work on throwing to the middle of the field and his acting skills. <laughs> he's not getting the Jason Kelsey offers from Fox and ESPN. You know what? He, does, he doesn't really need to worry about it. And it's my, my opinion on this means nothing in his life, nor should it. It's like I'm just. Me neither. It's my observation. Um, while you're on Vegas, just give us a little of the color. Like who. Who have you seen? What have you seen? What's the thing? What like give us? Well, a... the way the way it's all set up, Glenn, is uh, all the media uh, are staying in the Luxor Hotel. Yeah, and it is connected. I was there once. That's yeah, the Pyramid Hotel. It is. Yeah, um, I and they they keep flashing like potato chip advertisements on the on the outside of it, so it mm. looks like a giant pyramid of like Lay's or something like that. Um, but you can walk indoors to get to the convention center, the Mandalay Bay Convention Center, which is where all the media events and interactions are taking place. That's where Radio Row is, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, look, Vegas is Vegas in some ways. I, I think this is going to be uh, a location that the NFL comes back to for the Super Bowl. Often it's going to get into the rotation the way New Orleans and Tampa and some of the other Cities, that Miami, the Super things Bowl. like that. Miami, exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of swallows the Super Bowl. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people come to Vegas for Super Bowl weekend anyway, just to bet it, let alone when the game is here. So you see a ton of people in red, whether you're talking about Chiefs fans or 49ers fans. Uh, and it is very much, as you would expect, a situation where people are out all the time walking the strip there's just more of them. And I haven't had any celebrity encounters. I was going to say, uh, I know you're not a Michael Wilbon name dropper type. but you know, No, I'm not. You, you're in Vegas. You had to have yeah, seen somebody. Yeah, I know, like, I know. But I've been, I've been somebody. I, oh, the one. Oh, the one guy. The only real celebrity encounter that we've had. So Monday night, uh, we're waiting for the media shuttle to take us to Allegiant Stadium for media night, which is, of course, the big spectacle of the week leading into the game. You get all the... The players and the coaches available in the stadium, and you get sometimes quasi-celebrities asking them silly questions, and Entertainment Tonight is there, and all these kooky websites and things like that. And so I'm sitting on the media shuttle with a couple sports writer friends, and who comes walking down the center aisle to take a seat, very glumly kind of shuffling down the aisle, but Carrot Top. (laughs) Carrot Top was at media night. Uh, so this was me, you know, some of, some of the other people, the media people in and around town have gotten to see Wayne Newton or Stephen A. Smith. I saw Carrot Top. So I saw Carrot Top once, uh, like a year or two ago and he's doesn't, he doesn't look normal. As in, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. and, And Wayne Newton could be the same thing. Many, many plastic surgeries. His face 
uh, tells the story of the high price of hard living. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Oh, it was not he, he did not walk around Media Day being Carrot Top on stage. He walked around Media Day like an Eagles fan who was disappointed that his team was not in the Super Bowl. Is he an Eagles but, fan? Oh, I don't know. I'm just saying he oh, looked very glum he and depressed. Oh, you're saying he carried himself that way. Yeah, he looked very glum and depressed, and why am I here? Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe he was conserving energy for a show that night or later the week. You, you can't walk around uh, the Luxor without seeing posters and giant video boards of Carrot Top and Blue Man Group and all these, mm. these Las Vegas staples uh, yeah. as nightly acts. Well, there you go. People you always no say, time. I would say really quick, because I went there this past summer for the first time. People always say New York is the city that never sleeps. I think Vegas has something to say about that, Frank. Like, it's like 3 in the morning, and people think it's like 3 in the afternoon. No, you're 100% right about that, Dan. And the difference, too, is that at 3 in the morning in New York, a lot of people are just living their lives. At 3 in the morning in Vegas, they're gambling and they're It's a hand of blackjack. It's, like li- yeah. it's lively, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Your kind of town, Mike. How late you staying up? Oh, I'm not staying up late at all. I'm waking up. My body still has not adjusted to West Coast time. I'm bolting out of bed at 6 a.m. every morning. I'm, I'm nodding off by 3 o'clock. It's not good, Glenn. I got to get home. I, I really do. I'm getting too old for this. Well, there you go. You got one more day. 215. I'll muddle five, through. Yep. 592. Are you tracking this Taylor Swift flight coming in from Tokyo? I am not tracking the Taylor Swift flight coming in from Tokyo. You're not going to be there with the media frenzy at the airport? Oh, there will be. There, there will. There will be live coverage. Uh, no, I, no doubt about it. I'm going to shake off your jokes there, Dad. I told oh, you. There you I'm, go. I told you that I am. Uh, I'm going to Portugal this yes. May, mm-hmm. and I will be in Lisbon the night that she is performing in Lisbon. Ooh. Which it, I'm not planning to go see her, nor have we talked about the price of it. I imagine that's going to be about a thousand euros, but it also means that it's like I made my hotel reservations early because it's going to be insane. Oh, absolutely will be insane. And yeah. that, that'll that be actually interesting to see tomorrow, you know, when she gets into town and, you know, what the reaction is within the stadium if they show her on the video board or something like that. It's, uh, oh, it's going to be interesting. It's supposed to be tonight she arrives, right? I think so, yes. So you'll get, like, not oh, quite 24 I, hours of it. I thought that she, again, what did, Japan's probably, what, about 24 hours ahead? Yeah, of I was going to say her concert was theoretically Saturday night in Japan, but she was supposed to take off at, like, 10 a.m. Eastern. Oh, okay. I thought the whole point was it's going to be iffy if she arrives there by kickoff. I no, I think it's wrong. actually a little overblown. For someone with a private jet, she'll get there comfortably. Is, is she right. taking a DeLorean that is powered by 1.21 <laughs> gigawatts? All right. Yeah, let's hit a break, all right? All 215. Right. 592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Embiid going right half Batase. Uh-oh! I think Embiid might have been watching Ann Edwards play a little hoop last night. He's only going to be watching other people play hoops for a while because he <laughs> is not playing anytime soon. I know we've talked about this with our Doctor, over the last couple of weeks, but it is time to do it again as we welcome our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. David Gelt. How are you, Doc? Pretty good, guys. How you doing? We're all right. So Embiid underwent, I'm going to read this, a successful procedure for an injured lateral meniscus in his left knee on Tuesday. The surgery addressed a displaced flap on the meniscus. 
likely a meniscectomy, snipping a piece of the meniscus and not a full repair, which would have ended the season. All right. So give us a sense. This is February. We're a couple months away from the playoffs. Doc, can, can we hold out a little optimism that he will be back to form by the playoffs? Yeah, so it's a possibility. So what a meniscectomy and a partial meniscectomy, basically what it is is that little piece that was torn and the flap is a tear, um, and it basically can flip on itself or it gets pushed out. So they basically have to basically tear out that little piece and snip it away. But you want to keep as much as you can of the meniscus because, as we talked in the past, the meniscus is sort of like the shock absorber for your knee. So you don't want to get rid of it because then you're not going to have any shock absorber left, and you're going to get arthritis and a lot of pain in the short short season and short career, really. Um, so they try to keep as much as they can. With that, because you're not repairing it, uh, like you mentioned, you don't have to wait you know, three to four months. Um, a lot of times you can say, you know, four to six weeks, you can readdress it, see how you do. And then if he's doing well, he's not any pain, he's not any mechanical issues, then you can start increasing his rehab and you know, hopefully get him back for the playoffs. Doctor, how much more likely is it that Joel Embiid will suffer another meniscus injury now that he has suffered this one? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a tough uh, situation because, again, I think you know, in 2016 or 2017, I forget exactly which year, he had you know an injury of the same knee and actually had surgery there. So now this is a second surgery. So you can only have so much meniscus there. You know, and if you keep nibbling it away, you're eventually going to get rid of it more and more and then you know, expose bone and then you can get arthritis. And being that's such a big guy, you want to make sure that you know he has some shock absorber there so he, he can continue with his you know, career and um, it doesn't shorten it. But uh, it's a... Uh, the slippery slope, and that's why it's important to make sure he tries to rehab as much as he can so he doesn't re-injure it too soon. All right, Doc, it's a two-for-one today because we're going to play another clip. This okay. occurred last October, and you'll understand quickly why it becomes relevant. Dan? Out to center. That's pretty well hit. Marsh going back on it. On the dead run. Out to the wall. He can't get it. Oh, man, he just oh, ran into the wall. Schwarber's there to back it up. Taylor to third. The throw comes in, and Marsh is slow to get up to his feet. Yeah, I think he hit his knee. He did hit his knee, John Crook, and he was out. I think he was out 10 days or two weeks at the time, uh, but came back. Uh, you know, I said it was October, wasn't it? It was earlier than that. He came back, and he played through October. He played well, uh, but something occurred uh, recently when he was working out that he felt a lot of pain, and he had, you know, I guess it's the same story, floating cartilage in his left knee, underwent arthroscopic, different word, debridement surgery. Doc, take us through this whole medical dictionary now. Arthroscopic <laughs> yeah, so, debridement. Yeah, so it's uh, arthroscopic debridement. Is a, debridement, uh, sorry. Enunciation, yeah, so it's okay. Um, so basically what it has, has... Debridement a... requires attorneys, I think. <laughs> um, so basically it has a, a little piece of cartilage that uh, could have broken off and is sort of floating around. Um as long as it floats around and it's not gets doesn't get stuck, it gets ear you know doesn't cause any irritation, he doesn't have any mechanical issues, then you can just do whatever you want to do. But sometimes that little piece can get lodged in an area and it can get irritated, can cause pain, can cause locking, um, mechanical issues, and that's when you have to go in or sort of just clean out that little area. You don't try to leave any you leave everything else if there's no tear, we don't have to fix anything else. But you just clean out that little piece and. Uh, with that type of issue, it's it's not a big deal um, if that's all it is. And usually within three to four weeks, he's, he's doing pretty well and get back, gets back to activities. So he should be in good shape for opening day, as the Phillies said he should. Uh, hopefully, yeah. That's, as, unless, unless nothing else you know occurs. But as long as he goes in the right track and uh, with good rehab, then he should be fine.
All right. As a medical authority, who do you like in the Super Bowl? Um, I mean, I'm still uh, – Andy Reid was you know, part of our Philadelphia era for so long. Oh, you're, so going I, with that, I still, you're going with the Andy sympath- – the Andy, just, uh, A little bit. A little yeah, bit. I just don't – I'm also not a big 49 fan too. So, you know, uh, yeah, they are hard to they are, they are a hard team to root for. Other than Purdy and the story of him becoming their starter, it's really hard to – Look at the guys on that team and say, "Oh, you know, I'm pulling for them." It just it's it's difficult to do. Yeah, I think someone mentioned that they're called the 49, 40 liners because they're yes. I guess, complaining Ross about Tucker. Yes. yeah complaining about their uh, facilities over there that their fields aren't good to play and participate in practice in. And I mean, come on, oh, smoke alarm! You missed that. The conspiracy <laughs> that somebody pulled a smoke alarm to deliver. Oh, really? I didn't hear about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yesterday in the hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's out to get them, Doc. Yeah, Everyone exactly. Exactly, and you're in on it too. But well, it should be a good game, though. It should be a good game. I hope so. What do you like? What do you got plans? You got people coming over? You going to somebody's house? What are you doing? Uh, just going to have a little stuff at our house. We had a bigger party last year, obviously for certain reasons, you know. But this year is a little one more low key. All right, there you go, Doc. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. All right, yep, enjoy the game. Take care, Doctor. Thanks. I don't know if it's that there is a letdown in this town because the Eagles were in the Super Bowl last year and this year ended so miserably, and both teams are not teams that most Philadelphians would root for, right? We agree on that part Mm -hmm. so far? Correct. That I have, not that I've asked a lot, but to the extent that I've asked anybody, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, we're having the big party and like 15 people over ordering in the ribs, blah, blah, blah. It's I think this is a Super Bowl that, in this town at least, isn't getting a lot of interest. I think two reasons for that. One is the one you already cited about the way this season ended for the Eagles. Uh, People just didn't feel good about the team and the NFL, and it's Philadelphia, and it's under the dome, as I've said before. You know, we are focused on what's going on with our teams as opposed to what's going on around any particular league. I think the other aspect, too, Glenn, is that these are two franchises, two franchises that are familiar in these roles and in these situations. The 49ers got to a Super Bowl a few years ago and have been back in the championship game the last few years. The Chiefs have been in this game before. I think there might be a little more interest or there would have been a little more interest if, say, the Detroit Lions had been oh, yeah. in the Super Bowl. Oh, I, oh, uh, or clearly. if the Ravens yeah. had made it, something like that. So, But the fact that the Eagles season ended the way it did and the fact that you have these two teams that I, I think a lot of people maybe feel like they're a little tired of them both. And so mm, yeah. it's like, eh, okay, whatever. I'm, the other day a friend of mine came over, a, a guy who's a friend and a, and a guy who I do some business with, and he's dropping over some tax forms for me. He's like, yeah, my wife's out of town. I'm going to come to your house and watch the game. It's like, you are? He's <laughs> he, like, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and I, I hope he's a like, good friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just invite he himself, himself over. over. Yeah, he can do that. I get it. His wife's away. He didn't want to watch by himself. He's coming to my house, and he knows I'll have a lot of beer. So he's oh well. There you go. Yeah, he likes that. Uh, so I'm watching tomorrow with him and um, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and, and my wife, and that's it. And my wife and my sister-in-law, they'll they won't really stick around. So it's like my Super Bowl party is going to be like three guys and beer and. Uh, we'll order tacos Some, from down the street. Sometimes that's all you need. I, I have to admit, look, I, I love my job, and I'm looking forward to covering the game tomorrow and writing about whatever happens. But uh, we have dear friends who throw a terrific Super Bowl party every year, and I am disappointed uh, 
to a certain degree that I haven't been able to make it the last couple of years for obvious reasons, you know, working on that day. But, uh, you know, maybe next year the Eagles may or may not make it. And if they don't, maybe I may or may not cover it. Who knows? Um, but Brazil. I will miss that party. Yeah. Dan Wilson, what's your Super Bowl plans? Yeah, I'm headed down. Uh, it'll be about six of us. Actually, my friend in D.C. who I haven't visited in a while. Uh, oh, I'm, that's nice. I'm driving down there after the show today. We're going to Sixers Wizards tonight. I'm sticking around for the game tomorrow night. Oh, that's a, that's a good weekend. That's a great yeah. weekend. So, yeah. so we're making a little thing of it. It's about five, six of us who will be watching. Not too big. I, I get funny about who I watch games with. I'm a big Oh, yes. Y- yesterday's top five, uh, for anyone who caught it on afternoons, was I said that you can't watch the Super Bowl with people you haven't watched with all year. Like, you don't debut new crowd kind of thing. Uh, but also, you got to, like, five or six people's a good enough. We'll get, like, a pizza or something. We'll make a thing of it. There was your, a. Uh, your it, point that I absolutely will agree with is. I don't like to watch the Super Bowl with people I have not watched with or don't really care. They don't have to really care about the game who's winning, but, mm-hmm. like, don't care about football. And it's like, oh, I'm watching for the ads. Or, eh, when's Taylor Swift? It's like, I yeah, and, and by the second quarter, they're talking about whatever, and it's, like, taking away from the game. There, there was, there was um, a, there was a great interview the other day with Chris Mad Dog Russo in which he described exactly the conditions he needs to watch the Super Bowl. And say, no, 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 I'm, I don't watch it with anybody. I went to one Super Bowl party. It was terrible. No, no, no. I get in the room by myself and because I, I want to focus on the game and the coaches and the broadcast, et cetera, et cetera. It was hilarious to listen yeah, that's to him. Right. That's Just, right yeah, too. describe how he's got to be able to watch the game in certain Yeah, and you got you to know who your host is, too. Like, is the TV good? What's the couch set up? Like, you can't be going to uncharted territory <laughs> on Super Bowl Sunday. That's no good. So you're comfortable with your friends, uh, Dan, there, wherever you go. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know the territory. Uh, that's good. Yeah. One year I was invited to a Super Bowl party at a friend's house, a dear friend. And I can speak ill of him because he's since moved to Arizona. So he won't hear this. And <laughs> remember, we have the Odyssey app. He ain't listening. I'm kidding. So, yeah. so, so he invited his wife, invited her hairdresser and her hairdresser's husband and son, which in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Except the kid, who was like 28 to 30 years old, was trying to impress a girl, and he knew nothing about football. Oh, boy. So what I remember about this is it's early in the game. It's like 4th and 12 at the 18-yard line. This might have been the Carolina uh, Patriots. This might have been the Nipplegate game, as I recall. Ah. Uh, but anyway, but anyway, early in the game, it's 4th and 12, and, and Carolina has to punt. And this guy's trying to impress it. goes like, why are they punting? Don't they have any guts? Why don't they go for it? If you have, he had like a Russian accent. If you have guts, you go for it. They're chicken. And I thought, I got to spend the next four hours with this numb nuts. What am I doing? <laughs> so, Bad yes. call, Glenn. You got to scope it out. You got to scope it out. DW knows what he's doing. You know, no, no one likes I, watching I with the a, hard way. No one likes watching with a mansplainer either. Like the guy who has to impress his wife or girlfriend about like how yeah. much he knows about the yeah. game. Like, yeah, well, you know. it was this guy, except he knew nothing. Well, yes. yeah, and, and typically those people who try and do that think they know more than they do. Oh, you are 100% correct. All correct. right, well, good. So we're all going to watch miserably by ourselves. That's good. All right. <laughs> well, I'll be, you know, in the press box. I yeah, I know. I'll be by myself. But... Yeah, you'll be with your uh, 6,000 best friends. Yeah, exactly. We won't be miserable. Not all of us, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mike's going to party on the strip afterwards. Oh, yeah. Mike's yeah. going to be, well, the game starts at 620, so it's over by about 10. Oh, but it's 3.30 out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's got to yeah. work. You got to. You got to write. Something. Yeah, but once I finish work, yeah, but Ve- have, Vegas never know. sleeps. Vegas never sleeps. Yeah, Michael my, be my in bed flight, by nine o'clock. My flight home Monday isn't until ten thirty Vegas time. So I'll, you know, 
there's a possibility there. Just saying. He's going to be right. at that blackjack table with Kelsey. Oh, yeah, right. Over, all right, here we go. Then we'll, we'll hit this break. Over under on uh, Mike being in bed in his Vegas hotel tomorrow, Dan, I say 1030. Well, based upon the sleep schedule he said he's been on, it's going to go way under. Like before. Now, I, I, I would take oh, the over on that, guys. Yeah, I know he's got to cover the game. I'll take the, the over but... on that. All right, you've okay. got to send us a picture of the, of the clock. Okay, I All will. Right. I will. All but right. I'll take the over because it'll be, you know, the last night there and my work will be finished and I'll just oh, be yeah, party waking time. up to head home. Oh, yeah. 215-592-9494. Tell us your plans, as a matter of fact. Come back, we're going to talk to Connor Orr, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. It's very interesting opinions on the Eagles hires uh, for coordinator, uh, and I want to get that. He's very familiar with Kellen Moore, Nick Fangio. We'll talk to him about that and more. And you, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. They're at the Eagles 46. This time a screen goes to Debo Samuel. Whoa, whoa. He's off to the races. He's at the 20, 15, 10. Goodbye, Debo. <laughs> 46 yards. They're just too much. Yeah, that was, uh, what was it, 42 to 17? What was the score Four, that game? 42-19. 42-19. Oh, I don't want to steal those two points. And that was the no, game No, 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 no. Come on, Glenn. Give the Eagles their props. The Niners said they broke the Eagles. I remember Nick Bosa said it afterward, and I'm like, uh, okay, fine. And they did. They did. And I don't, Lane I, Johnson. I don't, I don't Lane know. Lane Johnson yeah. copped to it this week. Yeah, yeah, actually, we'll play that coming up. Um, I, I wish I knew exactly what they discovered. I wish the Eagles knew exactly what they discovered. You know what? Who may know? Connor Orr, Sports Illustrated, who joins us now, a uh, guy we've enjoyed having on the show this season. How are you today, Connor? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, hey, C. Hi, Mike. A lot, we want, a lot we want to talk to you. By the way, are you and uh, Mike running mates out there in Vegas? Uh, you got big plans later? I don't know, Mike. Uh, are you coming? We're go- we're doing uh, we're doing eight miles today. So eight, eight miles of what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm we're serious. Lovely- eight miles of what? <laughs> of, lovely Las Vegas trails behind. There's a, supposed to be some sort of place to go run behind the airport. Apparently. So. Oh, you're going for a run? Oh yeah, I'm not he's running, running anywhere. Oh, all right. No, no, no I, I don't goes run. To Vegas There's to no stay run. in shape, and I admire that. <laughs> um, Connor, I, I got a real simple question for you, and I, I, I'm not sure how closely you watch these games, but it's a two-parter, and I'd like Mike to weigh in as well. The Eagles beat the Chiefs early in the season. They lost to the Niners and, and really were never heard from again. The Niners scored on every possession. Uh, so it's a two-parter. How did the Eagles beat the Chiefs, and how did they lose to the Niners? It's a good question. Um, I think that the Eagles beat the Chiefs at a time when – the Chiefs are extraordinarily player-driven, and the 49ers are very scheme-driven. And so I think the Eagles beat the Chiefs at a time when Patrick Mahomes – I mean, that was peak struggle with some of their wide receivers, uh, the drop pass kind of epidemic that had hit that team. And so I think at that point, the Eagles kind of caught them in a nice time, but the Eagles were also rolling at that point in time. 49ers – I mean, I, I've said this before, and other people have said this too – if you get down on this team early, it's like being caught in quicksand or a whirlpool or choose your metaphor, right? I mean, if you're down 10 points to this team, um, you know, all of a sudden everything that is designed within Kyle Shanahan's scheme is just designed to keep their foot on your neck. And so I think the Eagles kind of fell victim to that for sure. 
Yeah, the, the Chiefs lost to the Eagles because they dropped passes. Um, they should have won that game in retrospect. Uh, I think at the time, Glenn, we were all looking at it and saying, hey, this is an indication that the Eagles just know how to win, when in fact, to a certain degree, they were getting fortunate. Uh, and the 49ers, as Connor alluded to, not only out the Eagles, they beat them up. I, I still come back to one play in the first half where – Brock Purdy finds George Kittle on a screen pass, and there's no one around Kittle for a 10 to 15-yard radius, and he rumbles for 30 to 40 yards and runs over a couple of guys at the end. It was the perfect kind of encapsulation of the problems the Eagles had that night and the rest of the season. Not only didn't they cover him from a scheme standpoint, they allowed Kittle to just kind of run through them once they got near him. So that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. All right, you're up. All right, so Connor. Around here, around in Philadelphia, I should say, because I'm not in Philadelphia. I'm in Las Vegas. A lot of questions about the two guys who the Eagles have hired as their new coordinators, Vic Fangio on defense, Kellen Moore on offense. Questions from a standpoint of how are they going to work with Nick Sirianni, uh, who has worked with neither of these guys before. What's your perspective on how you think this is going to work? Uh, Kind of your, your... summation of what Moore and Fangio are going to bring to the table and whether it's actually going to help the Eagles. Well, first people have to stop saying that Vic Fangio is coming home. Philadelphia and Dunmore are two and a half hours apart. And, uh, and everyone <laughs> yeah, but he's a Phillies that, fan. That's enough. And everyone always says that Vic Fangio is from Scranton. He's not from Scranton. He's from Dunmore. It's the town over, and there's a big difference. Um, so, <laughs> Connor, I, I, Connor, how do you know this so well? Connor, for our listeners, is a Scranton native and very particular and protective of his hometown. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So just as long as we get that, no, you must the, uh, you must have loved the office. I loved everybody saying that every. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Every we, day. Did, we digress. It did, it did help me get to know people in college. But anyway, um, <laughs> so here's what I'll say. Um, I think that Vic Fangio is great. Um, if you're going to allow him to be the head coach of the defense and you're going to allow yourself to be completely hands-off. What I found that was interesting from Nick Sirianni was hearing him say that he's going to be more present on the other side of the ball. And for me, just over the course of doing this for 14 years, it always seems like that first hammer into the death knell where the offensive coach is like, yeah, I'm going to go spend more time on defense, you know, and at that point you – you realize what you really are, right? So Nick Sirianni was first a play caller, then he abandoned play calling. The team made the Super Bowl. That play caller is gone. The team started to struggle again. And so now he's going to be tested, I think, as a CEO more readily than he has at any point in his career. So I'm, I know that Kellen and Vic can both handle their own sides of the ball, but I'm interested in how Nick uh, Sirianni is going to, uh, you know, handle all of this from 30,000 feet. Yeah, Nick says he's going to spend more time on the defensive side of the ball and in, in meetings and so on. Is that is? Do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> so, um, uh, Mike will remember, I mean, we covered the Jets together back in mm-hmm. 2011, 12, Oof, and that haven't era. Haven't you suffered and, enough? Yeah. <laughs> and there's the a Tim Tebow era, record. man. It was a wild time. It was wild. Um, And there was a point in time where Rex Ryan was like, okay, I'm going to spend more time on the offensive side of the ball. And um, I remember talking to him about this in his office, and he went to go draw me a play on offense, and he couldn't 
do it because he had to draw the defense first because he had never in his <laughs> life drawn a play where the X's and the O's were on the offensive side first. So, like, you think it's not a big deal, but it is. I mean, these guys are majoring in one language for decades, and that's all they think about. And so, I mean, I'm fascinated. Now, I will say this, that uh, when the Eagles were really good, when Shane Steichen was there, there was a lot of crosstalk between staffs. The Jonathan Gannon helped the offense out a lot. Can Nick recapture some of that? Um, possibly. And I mean, I think you're, you're going to have to. You have no other choice. Connor, what's your perspective on the nature of the way this staff has been made up? You know, when Nick gets hired as a head coach, he can bring in who he wants, right? He wants Shane Steichen. He wants Jonathan Gannon. And as much oversight and power as Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman exert, uh, Nick's kind of at the peak of his power when he's coming in. He can, he can bring in the people he, want for the, he wants for the most part. It, it's pretty clear that Vic Fangio and Kellen Moore, to a great degree, are being thrust upon him. In your experience covering the league and, and understanding and talking to coaches, does this often work where guys who really haven't worked together are able to figure it out? I think it works to a degree, So, um, but sometimes. So the Giants were a good example where Brian Dayball – uh, went and he created his first staff and he said, I want no one that I am friends with. Uh, I want no one that I've worked with. I want people who I know are really good and people who I've had a hard time playing against. And it worked really well the first year. They surprised a lot of people and stumbled into the playoffs. And then at the end of last year, you know, him and Wink Martindale were in a fight and there was door slams and now he's at Michigan, you know, and the team had to hire a new defensive coordinator. Same thing in Carolina where, Frank Reich's staff, uh, David Tepper, that was a mandate where he couldn't be friends with any of his coordinators. And that was one of the worst coaching staff assemblages I've, I can ever remember. I mean, a lot of really talented people, but nobody on the same page, complete and total disaster. And so it, I think it all depends on, on the head coach. Like, how are you handling uh, people checking your power? How are you handling questions that maybe don't seem – as nice as maybe some other people used to ask them, you know, how are you handling checks on your power? And so, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, Vic is notorious. He's a guy that knows what he wants, you know? I mean, he's been around the block. And uh, Kellen Moore is interesting. I mean, there's uh, his offense is different. And so I, I think stylistically probably very different than what Nick is used to. So how are you going to bridge the gap between those two things? And uh, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a lot of, hopefully force bonding at some point over the year. I like it. I, I like the idea that the, I understand most head coaches come in and they bring their guys. And obviously that really works well sometimes, but I kind of like that it, it, it had to be different. It had to be different guys. And we'll see, Hey, just one thing. And you would have a very good perspective on this. Bill Belichick did not get hired. Um, and I know the, the talk was Bill Belichick decided he didn't want Atlanta, but now there's, the talk is Atlanta decided it didn't want Belichick. Uh, there was a rumor here that the Eagles, if the Eagles moved on from Nick, Belichick would be a thing. How is it that Belichick just ends up nowhere? I don't know. I think um, I think it's complete and total lunacy. I mean, I think he's one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history, and I think that if you watch – um, some of the highest-powered offenses in the league play the Patriots. Okay, maybe the Patriots are not shutting these teams down, but what the Patriots are doing schematically is what every other team that plays those offenses are doing the next few weeks after that. And 
Bill is still the guy um, that is able to come up with that kind of stuff. Now, is he insisting on too much power? Is he still wanting to run things as a GM and a head coach? I mean, I can see that being problematic. But what I don't understand is how any of these people aren't just pitching him on allowing Belichick to do what he does best. And I think that's proven over time is to scheme a defense and is to uh, put players in a position to succeed and then allow a really established organization to just put all the other pieces around him, get him a hot young offensive coordinator, um, get him a GM who's going to understand what he wants and pipeline players into the system. I mean, I know he's not going to coach for another decade at this point, probably, but I mean, if I have a two or three year window, I, I think it's crazy not to give him a shot. Connor Orr, NFL writer for Sports Illustrated. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? The 49ers by 13. Whoa. Whoa. That's very certain. Stepping out. I, I just I, I had to I had to file my staff pick like eight minutes ago, so I was uh, I'm I'm it's it's fresh fresh of mind. So why, why the Niners? I think that I, I've gotten caught up like every Super Bowl. You get caught up in all these narratives, and they seem unbreakable and invincible. And right now we're in this phase where like the Chiefs' defense is so dominant, and Steve Spagnuolo is the greatest coordinator of all time, and you know he's so great. And all this is these are both true things, but. You know, what happens on, you know, play three when Christian McCaffrey breaks four tackles and runs 60 yards for a touchdown? You know, I don't know. And all of a sudden, you know, this Chiefs team, you know, has been doing the punching. But what happens when they kind of, you know, get a surprise uppercut here? Um, I I just um, I can't imagine as thorough and obsessed as Kyle Shanahan is about this kind of stuff that he's going to let another one slip away. I I would be surprised. All right. Last one. Mike told me yesterday that you mailed, emailed, called Angelo Pisa, one of the great screenwriters, the guy who put together Hoosiers, the guy who put together Rudy, and pitched him a movie concept? (laughs) So everyone says that the NFL is scripted. um, And so I said, okay, well, if that's true, is the NFL even good at script writing? And so I pitched him the 2024 season, and I said, okay, you know, I, t- I took three storylines from the 2024 20, NFL season. I said, if I came to you um, in, in your esteem, and I said, okay, a uh, kid from Cleveland Heights grows up, gets kicked off his college football team, uh, ends up succeeding in the NFL and marrying uh, a, a beautiful pop star, <laughs> what, what do you think? Um, and yeah. uh, he said, I, yeah, and he said, I hate it, and uh, I would never make it. That's great. Oh, yeah, that's great. yeah. It was a great idea for a story. It was well executed. And what Connor left out, of course, is that Rudy is his favorite movie of all time. So ugh, ugh. the idea of contacting Angelo Pizzo, like he just he couldn't pass that up. If you said who, yeah. I would have been with you, Connor, not Rudy. Um, <laughs> hey, just I, I I know this may be a sensitive subject, but every time we have you on, I think about it. What's the future of Sports Illustrated? How was how are things going over there? Well, you know, um, I think the only thing that I can speak to is just, you know, being here this week and being around, you know, people like Albert Breer and Greg Bishop and, uh, you know, just uh, seeing the work that, you know, you know, we're all still trying to, to do our best. And, you know, that that's really the only thing I can speak to is just how proud I am of this group and, uh, just how amazing, you know, I think it is that, uh, you know, we, we really believe in this, uh, this banner, you know, it's the only place we've wanted to work growing up as kids. And so, 
you know, I, I'm just I'm really proud of all the people who are uh, who are holding up that tradition. Well, we're rooting for you. We really are. Absolutely. Uh, enjoy reading. You. Enjoy talking to Connor or uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. San Francisco by 13. If that happens, you're you are a genius, my friend. Hey, I said the Eagles were going to get blown out by the 49ers. I was right about that. Oh, right, you well, were you right about that. Remind us of that. You there's, were right about that. Really hey, no Connor, enjoy en- enjoy your run. Have fun at that. Yeah, you Mike will not be joining you for an eight mile run tomorrow. <laughs> no, not today. All right, see you around. All right, there you go. Take care, All Connor. Right. Thanks. Good guy, good guest. Uh, Kenny, hang in. We'll get you coming up right on the other side. Anybody else wants to join? Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. You going to make a pick on the Super Bowl, Mike? We can do that in the next right. segment, I think. We'll get that. We'll get that. Right. I may save mine tomorrow, but yeah, want to hear what you think. Okay. Um, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. <laughs> With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now. That Our guy Pat makes Kenny. me laugh, I have to admit. Yeah, it's very good. Jack's got that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Delco fan. Speaking of which, Kenny in the Dirty 30 is with us. How are you, pal? Guys, um, I. Uh, it's a very warm, beautiful day outside, even though the sun's not shining for February. And it's yeah. the only thing that has me in a good mood right now because I'm just so upset about the way that Eagle season ended. And, and, and actually, I'm upset how it's going to begin next year in, in Brazil on a Friday night. But um, I, here's what yeah. I'm Oh, about Hold that. on, because you're the guy I want to talk. You are, you're a season ticket holder, right? You go to every game. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. You ain't go, you're not going to Rio, I assume. I, you Sao know, Paulo. When I first, when I, so Paolo, when it excuse first me. got announced, my first thought was, uh, if I wanted to get mugged, I'll just go to dinner in Center City. Um, well, that's on. a joke, obviously. Um, but no, it's it's. I, but you know, more I'm talking to people, it's actually, it's like any big city. Just stay out of the bad areas, and you'll be fine. So now I'm. I, I'm not talking about the health and safety. Yeah, I'm talking no, about I, the, a ten-hour flight, a sixteen-hour trip, the money right. you have to pay for the plane Thousands ticket and the dollars. accommodations and well, the tickets. Look, it, the, the NFL has proven, and you guys said this earlier this morning, they have proven they don't care one iota about the fans. I mean, last year we had tickets to the Seattle game, and then they announced two weeks before, oh, now it's going to be Monday night. Yes. And we all have to scramble for planes and changing flights and hotels, and it cost all of us a lot more money than it should have. Yeah, good And I sent, I sent a letter to the NFL saying, I, here's would you re- owe me in reimbursement for last minute? And I haven't heard a thing from them. The money's not coming so, back yet? No. No, not come back. Yeah, I'm yet. stunned. But that's a good I'm part of the, of the argument. Yeah. Um, but no, this is one thing that's. I might be in an island of one here, but I keep saying it. I don't think the Niners game broke the Eagles. I mean, you'll, you'll get a game when you get your ass kicked. It was the following week in Dallas when they were dropping passes all over the place. They were fumbling the ball all over the place. They could have. They could have beaten Dallas. I mean, they ran up and down the field on them, and then just Devontae Smith dropping four passes. And A.J. Brown dropping two passes and, and fumbling all over the place. I think if they win that game, they write their ship and it's a different season. That's I think, the there's, some, I think there's I think there's merit to what you're saying there, Kenny. I think you can make a case, though, that uh, the reason they played so poorly against the Cowboys is uh, they were still shell-shocked over the 49ers game. Uh, Lane Johnson, I, I hinted at this in the last segment. Lane Johnson talked about this with Dan Patrick earlier this week, that he believes – that the 49ers game shook something loose in the Eagles, and they were never the same after that. Whether it was a schematic thing, whether it was simply a matter of, you know, the reference I've made before, uh, the the champ gets punched for the first time, really, and doesn't know how to handle it. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the, certainly those two games changed the entire course of their season. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's but like you said, yeah, the champ gets punched for the first time, but they made one of those plays. I mean, the whole season was like that. It seemed like the the the, the Bills game and and the Chiefs game. If the other team would have made one play, it goes another way. I mean, NFL such a what what I like about it is you get teams that one play in a game can change the outcome of that game, the season, everything. And you go back and look and look throughout the the history of the NFL. It seems like always there's that one or two plays mm-hmm. that's the difference between a great team and a not great team. Yeah. We had Super Bowl last year, I still say is that fumble. They were going I agree. in they, they that was a seventeen point swing. They go in for a touchdown and a field goal there. So I mean Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. had a good game, but that one killed him. Who are you rooting for tomorrow? <laughs> it's the lesser of the evils. I hate the Niners so much right now, so I'm only pulling for the Chiefs because I don't hate them as much. I'm kind of in the same position. Hey, nice yeah. to talk to you, man. Be well. See you guys. Good to hear from you, Kenny. Thank Thanks. You. Yeah, I think yeah. Kenny sums up the way a lot of people feel about this game in Philadelphia tomorrow. They're, they'll be okay if the Chiefs win. If the 49ers win, they'll be less okay. And yes. neither in neither situation are they enthusiastic one way or another. Right. And you said it earlier. If the Lions had gotten there, that would have given – Listen, you're Eagles fans first and foremost. You're disappointed whenever. But if it's the Lions, it's like they've never been there. It's a good city. Part of this is because I lived in Detroit because I, mm-hmm. before I moved here. But it's like I think people would have gotten charged up about that game. And this one is. So. Yeah. I, I, we had talked about it on the show previously. I didn't want a Super Bowl between two franchises that had never won one. Right. I didn't want the Lions to play the Bills, for instance, because one of those fan bases is going to go home brokenhearted, and you wouldn't want that if, just from a, a rooting standpoint, right? If the, okay. if the Lions play the Chiefs, okay, well, uh, if the Lions lose, at least they got there. But, you know, it, it just would have been different. It would have been different. Okay. So the Eagles beat the Chiefs back in November, right? That was right before Thanksgiving, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they that was the game that Nick was shouting at the, the fans while walking into the locker room, where are you now? Boy, that was a bad look for him in, in hindsight. It was a really bad look. It, it was a really bad look. And it's the kind of thing, Glenn, that people around a league notice because it sends a message that, to be very frank, you're not quite as mature as you need to be as a head coach. That, let's be honest about this. It, yeah. It's a bad look and it's a bad sign because it shows that Andy's not doing that. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not a matter of you got to act like you've been there before. It's it's a matter of controlling your emotions at a time where you should control your emotions, and that's a place where Nick really needs to improve. I think uh, yeah. it's great that he's authentic and it's great that he's emotional, but there's time and place. Yeah, I mean, I like the guy, uh, but that was that was really bad. And that was I'm trying to think. After that, they well, who'd they play the next week? They won the next week, and then it all went the Bills. After that, oh, they beat the yeah, right. They beat the Bills. That was the Jake Elliott game. That's yes. right. Yeah, the and then after game. that, it just tumbled, tumbled down. Hey, one more thing I want to ask you about, and then we'll get your pick for the game. Mm-hmm. I did not understand the Chip Kelly leaving as head coach of UCLA. To become offensive coordinator at Ohio State. I mean, I Here's, know the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. fell apart. But is it really a better job to be an offensive coordinator, even at Ohio State, right? I mean, it's great, great, yeah. great. Than it is to be the head coach at UCLA. Is that where it's fallen? Well, I think a couple of things are at play there from what I understand. Number one is 
I don't think Chip thought that UCLA was as committed to doing what was necessary in an NIL world as he would have liked. That's number one. I think number two is that a guy like Chip or any number of other college head coaches in both football and basketball don't want to do the work that is required of them now in an NIL world to keep fielding a competitive team over and over again, year after year. And what I mean by that is, quite frankly, they have to re-recruit their own players yeah, in this year. world. Yeah, look and, at Alabama. You're right. Right, right. And as an offensive coordinator anywhere, he doesn't really have to do that. So he can go to Ohio State for a year. Look, he was up for the for the Washington Commanders' OC job. He I didn't know, get I it. That would have come on. How great would that have been for us? Oh, it would have been wonderful. It yeah, would have been wonderful. Been but I, I think that's where this is coming down. We saw... Um, the Boston College head coach take a job in the NFL as a coordinator uh, to get out of college football because I think some of these guys are saying it's not worth it. I just want to coach, and I don't want to have to go around to all 90 guys on my roster and say, hey, are you going to be back next year? And if you're thinking about transferring, what do I need to do to bring you back? It's an extra layer of work that they don't want to have to do, and so they'll take an OC job or jump to the NFL if and when they can and say goodbye to being a head coach at the college level. And he tried to get a number of NFL offensive coordinator jobs before he, quote-unquote, fell back on the Ohio State job. Yeah, I think the Raiders were another one he was up for, right? Yeah, I think he might be right. Raiders, Commanders, and Seahawks he was all tied to. Yeah, so he he goes to Ohio State for a year and and does well, and then he'll get the job next year. Yeah, if you're you're an NFL head coach, bringing in Chip as your coordinator is, is a heavy ask. You know what I mean? Uh, we've talked about you know the Eagles have guys coming in, and now Nick's going to have to work with assistants with whom he's not particularly familiar who have their own ideas and have some independence. Vic Fangio. But to me, Chip Kelly would be such a high-maintenance offensive coordinator to have to deal with if you're the head coach. Uh, well, if you're a defensive-oriented head coach, it might not be as bad. Uh, you just give okay. him the offense. Yeah. I guess. Mike, do you guess. think there's any chance of, like, sanctions coming on UCLA or is it definitely the NIL stuff? No, I think that's possible, too. I'm just – I'm reading the tea leaves based on some of the coverage from out there. And just, like I said, you see it in basketball as well. Uh, look at Jay Wright. Look at Jay Wright. He got yeah, out he at got exactly out. the right time. Yeah. Uh, because it's going to be really, really difficult for a program like Villanova's to be able to compete against – those programs that have the you know much much deeper pockets and resources. I guess I just viewed it as like he didn't retire. He didn't even go to the NFL. Like he took a coordinator job in the same conference. Like it's almost like he just had to get out of UCLA for yeah. some reason. Yeah, and maybe it's sanctions coming. Maybe it's the NIL stuff. Maybe he just didn't want to be uh, bothered with all that being a head coach at that level now entails. I think it's fair to say that the the whole college football, I mean basketball too, but really football is broken. And I appreciate that the effort over the last years has been to try to make it equitable for the players. And the players deserve something. They really do. I was always in favor of college players getting the opportunity to get paid. But the system now with NIL and the transfer portal is just so rife for not just corruption, but just it, it throws everything out of whack. And as you said, makes the job impossible for a head coach. It, they, they, they will have to fix that. I have no confidence that the NCAA will ever do it. So I think the colleges just on their own have to 
toss out the NCAA and figure it out themselves. Yeah, Chip, right. actually, yeah, Chip actually delivered a monologue about that and in response to a question. He's, it was really good. He's thought a lot about what college football needs to do to fix itself. Yeah, yeah they do. All right, let's get your pick for the Super Bowl. I'm going to be on tomorrow with Jody from 10 mm-hmm. to 2. I'm looking forward to that, but how do you see this thing going down? I think the Chiefs need to take an early lead so that they can continue to be balanced running the ball and passing the ball. I heard Ray mention this, and I think he's 100% right, that Andy Reid has has grown to appreciate a running game in a way that he yes. might not have <laughs> when he was here in Philadelphia. So yes. um, as Connor said, if the Niners get out to a big lead, they can put their, their foot on your throat and – the Chiefs don't want to be made one-dimensional. As great as Mahomes is, you're asking an awful lot of him uh, to come back again in a Super Bowl against the 49ers. He did it once a few years ago. Uh, so to me, it comes down to that, and it comes down to whether Brock Purdy can actually beat the blitz and beat man coverage, which is what the Chiefs like to play uh, when the 49ers have the ball. I think Kansas City's going to win on a last-minute field goal. I'm taking the Chiefs 27-24. Ooh, that'd be an exciting game. Yeah, yeah, I think it will be an exciting game. I am really curious to see how Purdy plays. The splits on him against mm-hmm. certain opponents, against certain defenses are so stark that I'm really, really eager to see what he does against the 40, excuse me, the Chiefs defense. All right, there you go. And what are you going to be writing after the game? Any idea? Uh, it depends on who wins and who loses. If If the Chiefs win, it'll probably be Andy or Mahomes. If the 49ers win... Um, might be Shanahan, might be Purdy, might be one of the other guys who contributes. You know, you got to wait for the storylines to materialize. Right, and and the Inquirer's got three or one of three out there? Yeah, Jeff McClain and E.J. Smith are out here. Um, you know, hey, I think we probably had some money set aside on the on the off chance that the Eagles made it back, uh. <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> and so they're like, all right, guys, you know, there, there's some storylines. It's go, in the budget. Right about Everybody it. go. It's in the budget. There you go. Yeah, you know what? So, I don't know that for certain, but I, no, I would that makes that's sense. what happened. That makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, one more segment. Go Birds Radio coming up today. What do we got today? Uh, go Birds, James and Elliot. And uh, is Elliot here or is Elliot out in, in Vegas? No, no, he's here. He's yeah, here. I have not seen Elliot all week here. Okay. Zach Third. Berman and Bo Wolf were the other Philly contingent uh, who were here yeah. uh, with all Philly, but that's pretty much been it, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway, we'll get to go birds after that. But first, we're going to find out what Dan Wilson is thinking about that we forgot to talk. And we can sneak in a call. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. I'm doing my ultimate grid during the commercial. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did Wordle during a previous commercial. No, <laughs> I got in three today. How would you do on that? Oh, uh, I struggled. I I you know, had a couple letters in places where it could have been several words, and yeah. I kept guessing. Finally got it in six. Uh, it was oof. tenuous for a minute there. Just yeah. save yourself. Walk right. the high wire. Who played for the Eagles and the Bengals? That's what I need to fill in. Ooh. Oh. Who I got one. Bill, Bur- Bill Berge. The- Bill Berge. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Right. Perfect. Bill Berge. I got to put in Ike Reese today. I got a, I got a two, 2% for Ike Reese. Oh, very nice. Eagles, Eagles Falcons. Falcons. Nice. Eagles, Eagles Falcons. There you go. Uh, okay. Anyway, let us find out what we forgot to talk about from the expert uh, brain of Dan Wilson. Coming up, we look at the big brain of Dan Wilson. All right. Now, I guess I don't <laughs> even have to introduce him. <laughs> Uh, Why am I even here at this point? (laughs) (laughs) A few things. Wanted to uh, get your guys' thoughts on, and then I'll give you my top five uh, rules for attending a Super Bowl party uh, per Glenn's request. 
Uh, first of all, the Pro Football Hall of Fame list came out uh, the other night. Julius Peppers, Devin Hester, Dwight Freeney, Andre Johnson, Patrick, Willen, Patrick Willis, Steve McMichael, and uh, Randy Gratishar. Uh, your guys' thoughts on who got in and who got snubbed? I Eric have no, Allen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I have no gripe with who got in. I, all those guys, fine, great, worthy. I wouldn't argue against any of them. It is crazy to me that Eric Allen, and he finally became a finalist this year, doesn't get any. He's one of the best cornerbacks I've ever seen in my life. And Devin yeah, Hester, nope. the first uh, like primary return man to get in. Ike was pretty uh, excited about that. Love for special teams. Yeah, absolutely. Was... Probably the best return guy of all time. Uh, also great that um, Steve McMichael from the Bears got in. He has been in very poor mm-hmm. health. There's a great story on ESPN.com uh, by a friend of mine, Sam Borden, about McMichael's battle against ALS, and it's great that he was still around to see himself get in. Uh, this was a great answer from uh, an interview that happened earlier in the week. The WIP Morning Show had Dave Dombrowski on. Glenn, we were talking during the break. You have not heard this. Uh, you remember some weeks back, uh, the story came out, rumors at least, uh, that Bryce Harper, really more so Scott Boris, but the Harper camp, uh, was actually asking the Phillies for a contract extension, as nutty as that sounds. Well, the first time it really was addressed publicly uh, DeCamera asks Dave Dombrowski, who is as honest as they come in terms of executives, uh, should he expect an extension? And I thought it was one of the all-time great answering the question without answering the question. Take a listen. Should he expect a new deal or not? Well, I would not get into any contract situations publicly. Just never really do that. Um, we'll say of the utmost respect for Bryce, tremendous players, said everything for the our, our club and, and the team and the city. So he's the type of guy you want to have. Um, he's in a situation where you can always desire or want anybody can anything that they would like. Um, we end up making business decisions that sometimes are difficult. But I, I mean, the way one way I would just say it without getting into any particulars is that uh, we're thrilled that he's on board. We, he's, we know he's at Philly for eight more years, and um, there's a lot of times to digest things. But it's a situation where um, we're thrilled that he's on board. And um, again, you can desire and want anything you you would like. But I think it's also the apparent knowing Bryce when he gets to spring training under any circumstances, he's ready to go. And, you know, you're going to get 100 percent from him in every regard. I don't think he's getting that contract extension, at least not this year. (laughs) (laughs) You think? Yeah, no. I mean, Dombrowski does not mess around. Uh, He is a killer in negotiations and he's very honest when he answers questions, and that's about as honest as he could be. I would not bet on Bryce Harper tacking on another year or two to that 13-year, $330 million contract. Yeah, uh, very good interview by Joe DeCamera, by the way. I, I did like it. All right, what what well, is your top five rules for watching? Yeah, so top five rules that we briefly alluded to earlier for attending a Super Bowl party, and you guys can you know react to these any way you'd like. Uh, number five, this was on today's yesterday's afternoon show, uh, is bring a snack people care about. You bring, you know... Pizza, wings, chips. Don't be the guy who walks in with the vegetable tray or the fruit salad and calls it a dessert. <laughs> like, d- d- don't bring a bad snack and then go eat the good stuff. Like, you got to no, bring no stuff to people. Yeah, you bring stuff that people. It, it's football watching food. You know, don't don't overthink this. Two words, well, Dan. Beat dip. Come on. <laughs> like, like you can't bring the bad <laughs> stuff and then go eat the good stuff. Like, you know, be be the person that people are excited to see walk in with their food. Well, guess what person I am at these parties? The beer guy. You're the beer guy. 
Yeah. And, and every party needs a, needs a, a, beer a beer guy, for sure. It's always served me well. Uh, number four is don't be a party hopper. It's time to lock in, and this affects two people. Number one, if you're jumping around from party to party because you're trying to make everyone happy and you get invited to a few different places, A, you're not really locking in on the game, but B, you're disrupting the people who are at that party, too. There's a commotion when you walk in. There's a commotion when you walk out. Hello, goodbye. If I'm, I want to be at a party where people are locked in from kickoff to the end. I've never heard of a situation where a person hopped from party to party when it came to the Super Bowl. That strikes me as something people might do on Christmas or Thanksgiving, Christmas even, or Hanukkah more so, uh, because you want to see extended family. Super Bowl party, to me, you're locked in from the word go. This is where we're going. We're staying during the game, and then we're heading home. I think it's a good rule. And I, I'm, I'm with Mike. I, I haven't seen it much, but it's a, it's a valid rule. Uh, number three is restrain from being Captain Obvious and don't be the mansplainer guy, especially if you're in over your head knowledge-wise. This kind of speaks to the Russian guy you were talking about. Okay, like, no, yeah. no one, even if you are an expert at football, no one's going to be impressed by your situational awareness. And this especially tends to come out when you are watching with people who you don't ordinarily watch with. you got to show off you know, how much you know about the game. Just It's, it's okay to not be like, hey, need seven here. You, you, you don't. Restrained from those comments, <laughs> but, but Dan, but Dan, I, I I know these guys, and and I talk to them, and I have insight, and and I cover this for a living, and I have knowledge, and I must share it. I, I know exactly. Well, and you're going to be in the press box tomorrow, so you'll restrain from oh, saying some of the worst. <laughs> Actually, you know what it is in the press box, and Michael back me up. It's it's the press box wags who have to have a clever line anytime yes. something happens. Yes, every single time, just. You know, just yeah. hold your tongue a little bit. We That's don't all. need your cleverness. Correct. Uh, number two is watching a trustworthy place with familiar people. Uh, don't go to the place where you don't know what the TV setup is, whether they're, you know, equipped to handle uh, that kind of crowd, whether you're going to get a good spot on the couch or not. And also, you got to know who you're watching with, kind of going to my last point. Uh, you can't be watching with people who aren't going to be focused on the game or who, you know, might not be dialed into the type of crowd you want. I, yeah, I, like I think that this you is scout a... the couch. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. The couch. And and can't be having setting, standing right? room or something like that. Yeah, and comfortable setting, right? Like you, we tend to go to the same Super Bowl party every single year. We know who's going to be there. Everything's comfortable, and it just works better for the game. All right. So and Mike, the number you, one, the number you know, one I'm rule. Sorry, I left one out. Yeah. Yeah. The number one rule. No one cares about your bets, and this is a newer thing. Oh, uh, thank God, yes. Yes, this is like caring about your fantasy team. No one cares what you have in your parlay. No one is sitting there rooting for Patrick Mahomes to hit the passing yards over because you bet it on FanDuel or whatever app. Just, you know, it, watch the game. Your bets, you can cheer on about those on the side. Wait, you did this yesterday on the afternoon show? Yeah, they weren't a fan of that number one. But I, knew, I was going to say, you said that directly to Jack and Ike? I, I looked right at Jack and Ike, and I said, no one cares <laughs> about your bets. <laughs> Now, Dan, how do you feel? They got about, the reaction that you would expect. Dan, how do you feel about um, like bets within people at the party? Right, like the grid of what's the what's the no, score? No, see, that's be a little bit better because it's interactive and it affects everyone evenly. Right, like the the squares, or if you're you know you all have a bet, you're all betting on the same thing. That's a little bit different because that's a collective interest. I'm talking about like the person who bet. And it yeah. only affects them, and they broadcast it because they think everyone cares. Yeah, yards gotcha. by Brock Purdy's arm, and how many times Andy Reid. Yeah, no, I, I think the, I think the house bets are a good idea because it yeah. you know you make sure that everyone has a little bit of stake in it. Don't go overboard, but everyone throws ten, twenty bucks on a on a grid pool. That's fine. All right. Well, you're going down to Washington to see with friends going to the 
Sixers Wizards tonight, so enjoy that. Yeah, we made these plans a few weeks ago when the Sixers big lineup for the Sixers tonight. Oh I was yeah, say the, uh, the is this the Buddy Hill Buddy Hield trip of all trips or what? Uh, that's for sure. And, well, I'm curious to see if Maxi plays. He was out last night with an illness. Uh, they they got a short rotation at the moment. Yeah, they showed heart yesterday, so that was good. Anyway, you enjoy tonight, uh, Mike. Have a great time at the Super Bowl. We'll be talking Thank to you, you soon. Thanks to everybody for listening. Go Birds Radio with James and Elliot coming up next, right here on 94 WIP. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.